I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of August 2021, and is once again that time of the month wherein we do our very special Tales from the Shelf uh, episode. Uh, and in joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How's it going, Brad? Uh, it's going great. I'm glad to be here. I, I got to say, I always forget now with that we're doing the video uh, component. So like for the first 30 seconds while you're just doing the intro, I'm probably I probably look like a zombie right there. Just like staring off into space like I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm on I'm on camera, baby. I got to be on, I got to be on here. <laughs> yeah, the, the video component is definitely a new thing for me, too. Like the hardest thing for me is like learning to look at the webcam. Because mm-hmm. that's that's not a thing I ever do. Like even when I'm at work or something, it's like fuck that. I don't want to look people in the, in their digital eyes. Yeah, um, yeah. But I promise, Brad. Like if if you're caught like picking your nose or something on the webcam, I'll I'll cut away. I'll do you that service. <laughs> no man, zoom in on it. I don't care. <laughs> zoom in, jam it up there. Yeah, got it. <laughs> uh, so as we tend to do things on tales from the shelf. Uh, we tend to categorize these monthly episodes into themes. Uh, so f- sticking with our alliterative titles from month to month, uh, this month's episode is titled Rewatchable Relics. Uh, essentially what this refers to is uh, the movies in our respective physical media collections that uh, we have watched the most or we find ourselves coming back to most often. Uh, this of course tends to be a situation where not all of these movies are going to be extraordinarily like outrageous or off the beaten path um but the hope here is that both brad and i can you know have some personal picks some some slightly off the beaten path picks like the idea is we don't want to just like do all of steven spielberg's early filmography or you know the the first three star wars films or something along those lines uh the hope is that both of us uh did our due diligence in picking movies that are especially personal to the two of us um Mm -hmm. so now that i'm done rambling brad i'm gonna throw you under the bus and ask you to kick things off because uh you're the guest, and I'm that kind of host, that kind of well, host. Well, <laughs> I'm fine with kicking it off. I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to get right into the big one. Should I just kick it off with my most rewatched movie? Because I don't think there's even a question for me that this is it. I mean, Brad, you always come in here super fucking hyped, so you may as well just ride that wave, man. All right, I'm, just... I'm hyped, baby. I'm hyped. All right. Well, I will say there's two movies that could maybe be my most rewatched. I'm pretty sure this is it. But the other one would be maybe Halloween. And the reason is because, you know, every Halloween rolls around, you tend to watch Halloween. I did not pull that on my collection because I feel like I've showed that off way too many times in this uh, series. But the other one, which is similar to Halloween in that it is based around a holiday, and it is one I watch every year, every Christmas Eve without fail, I rewatch Home Alone, which is definitely... My favorite Christmas movie, I think. Um, You know, the reason I watch it every Christmas Eve is growing up, me and my sister, we would watch it every Christmas Eve. We'd watch the VHS. I still remember the Pepsi commercial that played uh, in front of the VHS. Iconic Pepsi commercial. Um, And I think so. I probably still have that VHS tucked away somewhere. But, uh, yeah, it just became a tradition. I don't know how it started, but just it was every Christmas Eve we'd watch Home Alone. And I've continued that tradition even though uh, she uh, is no longer with us. I mean, she's with us, just, like, not on Christmas (laughs) Eve. I don't – I usually (laughs) – 
<laughs> Phrasing, <laughs> I mean, Brad, it matters. <laughs> literally, she's with us, but not literally with us. She's with, I, I don't see her until Christmas Day. And so I say, I got to keep the Christmas Eve tradition going. Gotcha. She's alive. She's alive. She's, she's great. She's doing great. Um, so, uh, but yeah, usually and half the time I just put it on and I'm just like wrapping presents. Uh, that's a lot of times what it is, but I watch it every Christmas Eve, even if I don't want to. Like there's some years where I'm just like, fuck, I don't feel like watching Home Alone. I just watched it 365 days ago, but you got to do it. Um, so yeah, it's one I watch every single year. If you go on my letterbox, like literally it's just boom, boom, every Christmas Eve since I got letterboxed. Um, I think there was even one year, uh, in college where me and some friends watched it earlier in December. So I had to rewatch it on Christmas Eve. That was tough. That was, that was tough, but you got to do it. You got to do it. And I do love home alone. Uh, I mean, I honestly think for me, the first 20 to 30 minutes of this movie is amazing like it might be my favorite opening like 20 minutes of a comedy period like i think there's so many great gags i think the writing is great like i think john hughes's writing in this and the opening is so good and for me honestly it's kind of when it, it actually gets to like the big finale that it's like okay i've seen this a million times but all the stuff with everybody in the house is so chaotic and so funny um and just like the more you watch it you're kind of like they really do do a great job of each of these like individual brothers and sisters and cousins, like they all have their individual personalities that just continue to shine every time you rewatch it. So I love home alone easily. My most rewatched movie. I mean, the only other one would be Halloween, but I think home alone beats it. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a classic. Oh, absolutely. It's a classic. Um, I've, I've seen you throw out it like quite a few buzz memes uh, from home alone <laughs> over the, over the past couple of years. So I, yeah. I can tell it's very near and dear to your heart. Um, and you're absolutely right. Like, like that entire family, the entire McAllister clan is really, really well put together. Like mm-hmm. for, for as little screen time as each and every one of them may have across both of those first two movies, they're so well-defined and they feel so true to life. Yeah. It's like, like my, my family doesn't personally resemble that at all, but, I have encountered each and one of those people at other people's family gatherings at some point in my life. They're all so richly defined and and just spot on. It's fantastic. But I'm curious, Brad, like what, what is your uh, letterbox star rating uh, for home alone? I mean, I'll tell you, it's a five, it's a five star film for me. I think it's uh, I mean, is it perfect? I don't think it's perfect, but no movie uh, is exactly. And I think it is, Maybe, I mean, maybe I'd say Christmas Vacation is funnier, but I, I do think this is probably, for me, the funniest Christmas movie. And I think the heart in, in it is great as well. Like, around that time of year, like, it, it hits it exactly. I mean, you know, it does get a little sappy, but not – it just, like, just enough. Just what you want for Christmas time. It doesn't overdo it. Like, I think the stuff with uh, the old shovel slayer or whatever and him and his uh, granddaughter, I think it's uh, great. And I still – I'm not ashamed to say I still sometimes get emotional when Kevin looks out the window and sees him and his granddaughter reunited. Like, man, that's that's beautiful. That's cinema, baby. <laughs> no, it, it's a it is a Christmas classic. It's a contemporary one. Um, what's really interesting, though, is that I, I do quite like Home Alone. But for me, it's always been overshadowed by the second one. OK, largely because I. I watched the second one so many times. In fact, if I was doing this right, my, my selection process for my most rewatchable of relics, uh, absolutely Home Alone 2 should be in my in my stack that's just off, off camera. Unfortunately, I don't own 
home alone or home alone 2 in any capacity uh outside of like a vhs that's probably in my parents basement but mm-hmm. um i rewatched home alone 2 just constantly like for whatever reason that was the one that i always came back to but upon rewatching them later on into adulthood yeah no the first one is probably the better film it's just for whatever reason i picked the second one um, and I don't think it's a grossly inferior sequel by any means, but for me personally, that's the one that I really latched onto. So like all the all the buzz memes I know come from like that one, and like all the yeah. quotables come from that one, especially you know cheeks, bony bab, <laughs> cliff, <laughs> like all that business. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that was some of my favorite shit. But um, yeah, the first one, uh, one of the things that really always jumped out to me, actually in both films, was the score. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. John Williams, no fucking joke, man. He showed the fuck up. Like that, that to me is kind of what elevates those movies in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Is that like we we were bombarded, like utterly bombarded, like almost borderline assaulted with with like imitators. Yeah, o- over the next decade and a half in children's cinema, like you you could not find a live action children's film that didn't involve some sort of traps and or slapstick comedy at some point just mischievous little boys like like bart mm-hmm. simpson types menacing adults in some fashion like problem child type shit yeah. <laughs> it was all because home alone was massively successful um but when you you factor in things like john hughes's writing and john williams's score it just like elevates the material so to such a higher plane that it it feels like you're watching a cheap knockoff when you try to compare something similar to home alone um and what's more like when you say christmas classic one of the most remarkable things to me is like i think john williams effectively created a brand new christmas carol with Mm -hmm. with the home alone score that christmas star melody and they even put lyrics to it i can't remember if it's in the first one that's definitely in the second one um Mm -hmm. They they have like a children's choir to go with it. That that melody plays in shopping malls to this day as if it's like a Christmas carol that's existed for hundreds of years. It's like no, that shit came out in the fucking like late eighties, early nineties, man. Yeah, <laughs> and there's some like uh, tracks in the score, like specifically where uh, the family is like late and they're running through the house. Uh, which I honestly, I guess I watched this movie so much growing up that it took me. I don't know what age I was, probably an embarrassing age when I realized, like, I just always thought that was just, like, Christmas music. I was just like, oh, that was just sourced music. Like, that's just a famous song. I, I never even considered him, like, I knew John Williams did the score, but I never, like, thought, like, wow, he did that. Like, that is iconic. And, yeah, it's it's an awesome score. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's right up there with uh, the Rambo theme and the Total Recall theme for uh uh, themes that have like themes for iconic movies that have been recycled for trailers for lesser films mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I even remember like i think it was rambo 3 they used the theme from they used like a theme from a totally different action film it's like why would you do that like rambo has <laughs> one of the most iconic themes in action cinema why would you borrow someone else's shit but yeah that 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 like i don't know hysterical like kind of bouncy fun music that plays whenever the fa- the family's in panic mode yeah it has been used in countless children's movies trailers it it's it just has the precise it captures that mood so perfectly that's like why wouldn't you repurpose that but yeah i if you're to put like the the finales like the uh 
the trap sequences of of Home Alone one and two. If you were to pit those two against each other, which one do you think edges the other out? You know, I don't even know if I can say because I I've definitely seen the second one a lot, but it has been a long time since I've watched the second one, and I more remember like the stuff with him in the hotel. I really don't remember much with the uh, big finale other than it taking place in like an abandoned apartment building or whatever. Gotcha. How do you do? This is Peter McAllister, <laughs> the father. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you this much, Brad. You could cut out the entire finale of Home Alone 2, and if you just left, if you just left the Rick scene in there, I would be, if it was just, an hour of bricks <laughs> and Daniel Stern eating said bricks in the face I would be I would be over the moon like like that would be the best movie ever made. that's right <laughs> because, yeah, I do remember the bricks I do oh remember my the bricks God, now, the, yeah. the br- <laughs> I, to me that that's just comedy gold watching Daniel Stern eat fucking bricks in the face <laughs> uh, I kind of miss Daniel Stern he was great yeah yeah what is he up to anymore is he still is he still with us I think he's still with us, uh, much okay. like I think he went the way of Matthew Lillard, where it's like he he dipped out for a second, but he's probably quietly like still doing stuff. Like he's probably still putting in good work because I think Matthew Lillard is like doing indie stuff. Like he's he's on the comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Daniel Stern, I'm not positive, but he he had a moment, and it was a long one and a good one. Uh, I I sincerely do miss him, so I hope he's doing well. But uh, Joe Pesci, not sure what he's been doing other than the irishman he basically went into hibernation right yeah i mean yeah it was just cool to get him out of hibernation for the irishman i mean that was kind of what i was most excited for when that movie was coming out it's like joe pesci's back baby yeah no i mean that whole movie just like the cast the way it was arranged felt like just like a, a victory lap for all of those people including the director where it's just like mm-hmm. scorsese's just like getting the whole band together it's like hey i'm not sure we're all gonna have one of these moments again so just go nuts do you have yeah. like go nuts? I'm gonna give you all the screen time you could ever want. <laughs> <laughs> that much is that much is true. But um, Macaulay Culkin has some sort of project. Uh, I think it's called like Rabbit Ears or Bunny Ears or something. Mm, okay. It's a website. I think it's like a news site and just like a, a merch store or something. Uh, he he started popping up. Like he started doing collaborations with a lot of like internet personalities that i've been following for Mm -hmm. for the past decade and a half or whatever and it was a weird collision of worlds where it's just like hang on i i didn't invite macaulay culkin like i i (laughs) i liked him a long time ago he kind of dipped out but oh he's back and he's hanging out with like people that i wouldn't expect him to and it's like kind of fun okay (laughs) like he showed up at red letter media uh the the guys from wisconsin he even showed up at the angry video game nerd show at one point Mm. And he did good work with them, probably just to promote his his bunny ears thing or whatever. But he's yeah. he seems like you know as far as child star goes, like child stars trajectories go, he's he's done just fine for himself. Yeah, and he's actually uh, going to be in the new season of American Horror Story. So apparently, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but uh, the word on the street is him and Kathy Bates get together. If you know what I'm saying, so okay. well, it's gonna be great. I, I wouldn't doubt it, actually, because I, I, I don't know what his acting chops are like these days. I, I mean, I've mostly just seen him doing, like, 
kind of hangout type material not actual acting yeah but kathy bates always shows up like she she elevates anything that she's attached to so yeah i would imagine if he does a shit job she'll pull him aside and give him a talking to <laughs> i think he'll fit right in i think he'll fit right in with- <laughs> like listen to me you little shit <laughs> <laughs> i was naked and about schmidt <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but that that's a really strong opener, Brad. Like, way to be honest and actually like throw the one out there that you you watch as an annual tradition. Yeah, I didn't want to forget about it, so I said let's just lead off with it. Let's just go with it. So, yeah. boom, Home Alone. Yeah, shit. Why not? Um, I personally don't really have. Uh, well, actually, no, that's a lie. Uh, I did have some holiday tradition films uh, in the house. Uh, so, for Christmas, uh, growing up, uh, we participate in the, the the christmas story thing uh the 24-hour christmas story uh, it's like on like tb tbs or tnt one of those cable networks uh it got out of hand uh in recent years um the the merchandising uh the merchandising train that that backed up over uh, a christmas story got out of control and now i th- it now i think it's just it leaves a bad taste in my mouth just to think of that movie even though i I do really like it. It's just it got overexposed. It got overplayed. But we did used to watch that at Christmas. Um, but at Thanksgiving, um, <laughs> we did have a film series that I can't recall if it was, I think it was Thanksgiving Day or or maybe the day preceding. But always around Thanksgiving time for a very long time. Uh, the cable networks were very kind to allow my family to indulge in Rocky. Nice. Uh, so this would have been in the days when we only had five Rocky movies as opposed to six plus two Creed films. <laughs> um, so the Rocky franchise, and by the way, this is just a standard Blu-ray box set of all of the Rocky films. Uh, I own the, I own the two Creed films uh, separately. Um, Hopefully it's a nicer box set than I have. Mine looks like garbage compared to that. Uh, I've I've seen that they've reissued these quite a few times. Yeah. And, uh, I think this one was a gift probably from my brother. Uh, that sounds right. Um, so I don't know like what distinguishes this one from any of the other versions. But um, yeah, I have seen some truly fucking hideous versions of this. I think the ugliest one I've seen is one where it's, uh, it's like Rocky IV Rocky. And he's like kneeling in front of the the he's on the cover and he's like kneeling and he has just like one glove on and he's like cupping cupping his his knuckles in his one hand yeah it's like called some like some form of rocky ultimate collection but i like this one it's classy that's nice i like that yeah but uh the rocky films are incredibly special uh to me and my family uh me and my brother mostly i guess uh because my my dad's from philly I've never been there personally. Uh, I was raised in Seattle in the Pacific Northwest, so I'm like the other side of the country. Um, and just Philly at, is is like almost like a person to me and because literally everything. Philly is a skunky Beaumont from, from Nickelodeon's Doug or uh, Bob Sacamano from Seinfeld. Yeah. Uh, AKA Kramer's friend who is never visually represented in the show. He is only referenced verbally. Um, the city of philly is is that for me it's Mm -hmm. like i've never set foot there everything i know about it has just been told to me by my my dad and his family 
and it's all bad. <laughs> it's all fucking awful. But every single one of those stories ends with some backhanded compliment like, oh, yeah, but you should totally go there. There's a lot of history and stuff. Yeah. All you've told me is about shootings and stabbings. <laughs> and about how you'd rather go fight the Vietnam War than stay there. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it's no wonder you've never set foot there. But man, you gotta go check out the uh, you gotta go check out the Rocky Steps, man. That's got that's gotta be a life bucket list thing. Well, yeah, and actually, that's a huge part of why Rocky's really special to me is because when I was very very young, uh, you know, finding a way to bond with dad was kind of a tricky thing to navigate. Uh, but then things would happen, like Rocky would be on television, and all of a sudden he'd get very talkative, and like he'd he'd get really excited and he'd open up about things. And I'm just a little fucking kid; I don't know what's going on. I'm just waiting for the part where people start punching each other. But like, meanwhile, Dad is interrupting. He's talking over the movie because he's really excited because a large portion of the film was shot in his neighborhood. Like, like he can point to like street corners and be like, "Oh yeah, I used to hang out there." Oh yeah, I used I used to sled down those steps. Oh yeah, I know that guy. Oh, I tried to kill that guy. That guy tried <laughs> to kill me. <laughs> that guy hit on my sister. Stuff like No, I'm serious. Like he would point at the end credits of the movie and there's a guy in the end credits uh, that's listed as fire barrel singer and be like Jimmy Zazzarino. I tried to kill that guy. <laughs> like, that's amazing. He'd be like, hey, did you know that's Frank Stallone singing by the fire barrel? It's like, no, I was not aware of that, father, but thank you. <laughs> but like watching those movies especially the first and the first two it was always just like an excuse to hang out with dad and have him share stories about the neighborhood and stuff and just the general vibe like he was always very confident in saying yes in in 1976 that was very much the town that would that was the vibe this is fairly accurate minus the pg dialogue he was like you know Quite a bit more profanity would normally be present, but, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was a different time in cinema history. But, um, yeah, the entire Rocky franchise is very, very near and dear to my heart. I've I've seen all of them front to back so many times. I know them like the back of my hand. Um, Any time these movies come up in conversation with my brother, it ends up just being a shit show. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I guess we're talking about Rocky the rest of the night. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've brought him on catching up on cinema to talk about things that are, like, tangentially re- related to the Rocky franchise. And it's, like, just devolves into <laughs> into that shit. But both both Sylvester Stallone and the Rocky franchise are really, really special to me. And I don't watch them nearly as often as I used to, more than likely because I don't have cable anymore. And I don't have the convenience of having someone program my my viewing schedule for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm actually like in the process of getting my my girlfriend up to speed with all of these. Uh, she's seen just the first two for now, um, but it, like every so often she'll remind me and be like, "Hey, we left off at two, and there's still like four more plus you know those two Creed movies with that really." fucking handsome guy michael b jordan it's like yeah I know. we got quite a few movies between now and then so oh, she's excited for creed i can tell oh i mean who wouldn't be <laughs> but I you mean, guys should check out space jam he's in that yeah I, I actually um spoiler for for brad's show the cinema speak podcast i did listen to your most recent episode this morning and uh that joke like I, without having experienced it firsthand, just having it relayed via the, you guys talking about that, I was like, "Are you fucking serious? Like that? That qualifies as fucking humor?" 
Like, yeah. No wonder people don't have hope for the next generation. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was, yeah, it was pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Yeah, that is pretty fucking bad, especially like when when you think about what what you're potentially teasing with that. Like, what a you're just you're just doing this to your audience. <laughs> yeah, just, exactly. Give me, give me, give me. I got something to tell you. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Ah, uh, but. How about you, Brad? Do you have any connection to the Rocky franchise? Uh, I've seen every Rocky movie, but I don't have the connection that you do. Like, I, I didn't watch it growing up. I think, um, I don't know how old I was when I saw the first Rocky. I, you know, I was young-ish, but I, I mean, maybe I was in high school even. Um, but I only had watched the one Rocky, and then I think it was like three or four years ago, I went and watch the rest of the franchise for the first time and yeah, I, d- I like the franchise quite a bit i mean uh i definitely think the f- the first one um is probably the only one i would say that i love like i know some people lo- like there's some people that love four like a lot of people have a lot of reverence for four um and i i do like the two creed movies a lot too um but yeah it's kind of the thing where i i wish i had growing up with them cuz it's like man i can definitely see myself relating to these movies, but I just don't have that thing where I've watched them a bunch and I didn't grow up with them. And I think, you know, there's a little bit of that where if you grew up with them, it, it carries a lot of weight, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely true. That's like, I, you and I have talked about this before in previous episodes. It's like, there's there's certain products that if you're introduced to them at the right age, it makes them timeless. Where it's like instead of approaching it with with a critical mindset, it's like you're a little fucking kid. Like it's a movie. It's it's a it's gonna it's gonna occupy the next two hours, which in kid hours means like oh my god, it's so long. <laughs> like, yeah. like like two hours is an eternity. Like it's gonna be occupying my attention for the next two hours. So whatever it is, it's great. It's the best thing I've ever seen because I've seen five movies <laughs> in my existence up to now mm-hmm. um and yeah I, I feel kind of privileged to have been introduced to these movies very early in fact like while you were talking about like having seen the first one when you're in high school like i was like obsessed with these movies when i was in like middle school um yeah i kept talking about them and i i just remember being like baffled by the fact that like my my peers my contemporaries were like in the dark about like they didn't know what the fuck i was talking about i was like how do you not know about mr t yeah <laughs> it's like because mr t and rocky squared off in 1982 <laughs> five years before you were born trevor <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah yeah but i saw the movie and i'm really up on it so like why can't the rest of you be as excited as me it's like well because you know the rest rest of us don't have dads from philly and don't care about boxing which actually that's another thing that i owe to the rocky franchise is it got me interested in the sport of boxing which to this day is probably the most important sport to me personally mm-hmm. like all the all the various ball sports i i mean i know what the i know what the fuck i'm looking at i can follow a game of baseball i can follow a game of football i just i'm just not emotionally invested whereas boxing i'm like actively following like i'm actually invested in it and it's kind of similar to my taste in movies actually where it's it's that sport that has existed for quite some time very long time but like actually finding people to talk to about it is really hard (laughs) so it's like i I have all this passion it's just it's stuffed down and that's why that's what leads to people making movie podcasts is they have all these thoughts 
and nobody to share them with. <laughs> <laughs> so they need to recruit people from other parts of the country to service their brick wall that they can throw mouth noises at for two hours at a time. And it's a slippery slope from there, man. It's a slippery slope from there. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, good times had by all, hopefully. Oh, yeah, but, of course. But, but yeah, uh, Rocky, Rocky, like, I, I love all of them except... Five is is the the one that we all like to pretend didn't happen. It did happen. We all have to be okay with that. It it is the least of the of the entire series. Each yeah. each film though, kind of similar to the Lethal Weapon franchise, I want to say, has its merits. Uh, just the fifth one has the least of them. <laughs> now I gotta ask: Is because you're you're the expert. You're you're the Rocky expert. You're you're the Rockter. You're you're Rockter MD. <laughs> Um, is there any actual Thanksgiving in those movies? Because as soon as you, maybe it's just because I know you, yeah. but as soon as you were like, they're on during Thanksgiving, I'm like, it's going to be Rocky, isn't it? And it, I, I don't remember ever watching them in, on Thanksgiving. In fact, if anything, I remember watching the Bond movies. that They would have Bond-a-thons on Thanksgiving. But as soon as you said Thanksgiving, I'm like, just Rocky just feels like a Thanksgiving movie. Well, or a franchise, even. I'm glad you brought that up, because actually, James Bond, I, I have that that box set over there that uh i didn't pull aside because there were uh i'll just go throw it out there right now uh, there were a few things that i just pushed aside right out the gate one was godzilla um if if any of you people listening have listened to any of catching up on cinema you'll you're well aware of the fact that i i'm a godzilla fanatic i, I was raised on the godzilla uh <laughs> but i figured y- y'all have heard enough about that uh this this entire thing all of all of my most rewatchable relics could easily be godzilla movies and the same goes kind of for james bond as well um where i i watched many 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 james bondathons again with my dad uh and yeah a lot of those did fall on thanksgiving as well now that you mentioned it but um rocky and thanksgiving i don't know how it came about i want to say it was again cable television somebody just decided rocky and and thanksgiving go together like peanut butter and chocolate Thanksgiving has been featured in the franchise. Uh, I believe in the first film, uh, Paulie actually throws a fucking tantrum on Thanksgiving okay. uh, and kicks them out of the house. Uh, either that or it was they were just having like a, a roast bird, like a very large roast bird or whatever. But <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be Thanksgiving. But um, major point that I want to close things out with here is uh, the recut of Rocky Four is supposed to drop in November, probably oh, around that's Thanksgiving. Right, that's right. Yeah, so I'm guessing there's there's just some sort of like cultural osmosis effect uh, where Rocky and Thanksgiving are just a thing in America, apparently. Like even the Creed movies, I think, came out around that time of year, if I'm remembering right. November, December, around yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know where it came from, to be honest, but it, it just, it works. Uh, it fits. <laughs> I mean, well, I, they d- there's no Thanksgiving movies, really, not or not many. There's a few. There's a few. There's, but there's not like the whole, uh, you know. There's not like a, you know, just so many that you can't even break through. It's like Sylvester Stallone. He said he saw an opening. He said, even though there's not a lot of Thanksgiving in these movies, he says we're going in. We're gonna go in. We're gonna we're gonna take over this holiday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, unfortunately, the very best Thanksgiving movie is fictional, and that would of course be. Uh, but Thanksgiving, <laughs> uh, uh, not not Seth Rogen, 
not <laughs> not Seth Green, but not Seth MacFarlane. What's his fucking face? Ah, uh, the bear Jew. <laughs> Eli Roth? Eli Roth, thank oh, you. Okay. I don't know why I was thinking Seth, but his uh, fake trailer for this okay. movie, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Good <laughs> That's, of course, the best Thanksgiving movie that could have ever been conceived, unfortunately. I was like, who the hell are you talking about? Seth? I, I, who's this? <laughs> it's been a rough fucking week, man. <laughs> like, I don't know. I've been I've been very forgetful this week. Like, I've been leaving shit all over the place. Like, I I had my girlfriend's birthday the other day and was like, well, I forgot three things. Not a big deal. <laughs> I mean, you didn't forget the birthday, did you? <laughs> no, I remember the birthday, but I was like, ah, oh, shit, I left my mask at your apartment. Ah, shit, I left your flowers at my apartment. Ah, shit, I, I almost left my keys in my car. So it's been hey, that well, kind of week. But thanks as for long as you remembered the birthday, it could have been worse. It could have yeah. been worse. It got taken care of, but thanks for bailing me out there. Yeah, uh, Eli Roth's uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a very, very good fake trailer. Some of, the, some of his best work, if you ask me. Um, but anyway, that's enough about Rocky. Uh, what you got next, Brad? Okay, well, let's, I don't even know, where should we go with this? Let's just go with this one. Why not? Um, this is a movie that uh watched all the time when I was younger. Um, I'd say, like, you know, probably late elementary school, middle school, early high school. Like, that's when this was on repeat all the time. And for a while, it did get a Blu-ray release, but it went out of print, and it was, like, super expensive if you were to buy it, like, you know, through Amazon secondhand or whatever. But they did finally, I think just last year or the year before, finally put it out again. They reprinted it, and uh, now I own it. Glad to have it on Blu-ray. It is with my man, James Carey. It is The Cable Guy, which I could... Now, I could put Dumb and Dumber here. It, it could go either be Dumb and Dumber or The Cable Guy, but I'm going to go with The Cable Guy because... It's the movie where I watched it when I was younger and loved it. And I watched it over and over and over. And it wasn't until later in life that I found out that there are some, like, there's a, I think it's kind of come around, but in, at least initially, this movie was not viewed as his finest hour. Like, people were like, oh, I mean, he, Jim Carrey, he was great in the 90s, except for The Cable Guy. And I was just thinking, like, The Cable Guy is, like, his best movie in the night. Like, what are people talking about? Like, it kind of blew my mind. And, uh. I don't know. I think it's definitely aged better than a lot of his films. Uh, I like that it's darker. It's a little more up my alley. Like, I, I put on Dumb and Dumber, and I probably will laugh more at Dumb and Dumber than almost any film out there. But uh, something with the cable guy, I just like the whole, you know, kind of like the stalker angle and how it borderline gets into some horror elements, uh, but still manages to be very funny. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely... Uh, and un- I think it's kind of come around, but I'd still say underrated Jim Carrey movie. I like Matthew Broderick in it a lot. And uh, just one of Jim Carrey's uh, best comedic performances, if you ask me. He's he's great in this. Wow, Brad. That, that is a fantastic pick for me anyway. Because I have – I wouldn't rank that movie among, like, my most watched films. Uh, I, I actually don't own that, although I should uh, because I adore The Cable Guy. I, mm-hmm. I think it is a tremendous work of dark comedy. Uh, Kyle and I frequently quote that film. We can't say the name Stephen without the Stephen? <laughs> Stephen? <laughs> and yep. same, same with password. The password is <laughs> nipple. <laughs> 
Uh, no, yeah, I, I absolutely classic. love the cable guy. And what's more, the cable guy kind of started the trend of me, like, it, it took a while for it to solidify, but around the time we got to, like, Tropic Thunder, I started to realize, holy shit, I think Ben Stiller is a really good director. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think he's generally pretty solid as a comedic actor, but beyond that, I think he really knows how to put together a movie because his the tonality of his films is is so unique among most like larger budgeted com- comedy films because he he goes to that weird dark territory that not everybody's willing to go to and i think that's part of why he gets such good performances out of people is that he lets his actors play like jim carrey at that moment in time wasn't doing that like like mm-hmm. he could have very easily coasted on just doing endless ace ventura movies but no, he decided to do that and like like what a few years down the line, like the majestic and stuff. And, and not too long after that, he kind of pivoted entirely into more dramatic roles and stuff. But um, the cable guy at that moment in time was kind of a bold move for everyone involved. It's like, what? I don't even know what the fuck I'm watching. Or, yeah. Actually, I yeah. feel kind of weird laughing at this. But, you know, when you think about it, it's like, don't don't over intellectualize it. Just fucking laugh at it because it's hysterical. But it's pitch fucking black at the same time um my god even as a little kid even when i didn't really understand a lot of the humor it still had something about it that made it very compelling and very very comedic like like just the the karaoke scene oh that's that's iconic i mean it's it's so bizarre his clients that he invites (laughs) i was about to say the casting of all the extras in that scene they knew what they were doing it's they're just like let's get the weirdest looking fucking people we can and stuff them in this tiny apartment yeah it almost feels like a precursor to like some adult swim kind of humor like that's very like tim and eric like just like casting like very very you know very real people like very you know down to earth kind of like weirdly like there's always like you know, they look like real people, but there's something a little off with them. Um, and I, I love that in that sequence. And it's just uh, <laughs> his clients, how they're all so they're so, such big fans of him and everything. And uh, it's it's great. And I mean, of course, the Medieval Times segment is awesome as well. Um, yeah, it's 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 a great film. I have to say, I don't know if I've watched it since I've bought this Blu-ray. It's it's been a long time since I've watched it. So I I definitely need to revisit Oh, yeah, absolutely. You should definitely get on that. Um, yeah, the medieval time sequence is fantastic. I, I personally really got a lot of laughs out of uh, the restaurant assault sequence. Um, with Is it with uh, is it Owen Wilson that he it is? is? Yeah, okay. It, yeah, it is yeah. Owen Wilson, probably pre-Anaconda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it, even his character, there's a lot of weird little, little like details in his dialogue where it's like he's supposed to be kind of a dick anyway. But yeah. it's so subtle that you, you, all all you're focused on is the fact that an innocent man is being assaulted in the restroom. <laughs> but it's it's a magnificent sequence, and Jim Carrey is just fucking going crazy. Like I don't even know what the hell his 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 method was going into that scene because he just crafted a character. He, he probably just did the thing where he looked at himself in the mirror and just said, "I'm gonna I'm going to be that person." It's like, I'm going to put on the, you have a big tape. <laughs> it's like, you have a hot tape. <laughs> he, he just put on the sunglasses, put on the fake mustache, and just went nuts. And it worked yeah. out. But then there's like the the running gag where they keep cut, cutting back to the, the trial between the two brothers. Uh, one of the funniest fucking bits in that whole movie is the uh, the advertisement. It's a commercial 
uh, for the the TV movie version of the murder case. It's Eric Roberts <laughs> yeah, yeah. as Ben Stiller's character. It's supposed to be twin brothers, one of whom murdered the other, but they get they get Eric Roberts to stand in for him. It's fantastic. But no, I I love the Cable Guy. I probably should own that movie. I'm kind of shocked that I don't because I do talk about it a lot, and obviously it's like crystallized in my brain. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, uh, I'd like to see more from uh from Ben Stiller as a director going forward because he hasn't stepped up to the plate too often. Um, I think he also did Reality Bites, which I've heard has not aged well at all. Like, okay. I, I haven't watched it myself, but I guess it was a big deal at the time. But uh, when you watch it now, it's like, ooh, this makes me throw up in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely. The one thing that uh, Ben uh, Stiller directed, he did a miniseries, Escape at Danamora. Mm. which I've heard is actually really good. Um, that's one I've been meaning to see. I think it's got uh, Paul Dano, Patricia Arquette, and um, is it? Yeah, Benicio Del Toro, um, which I, I've heard good things about. I think it was nominated for like a bunch of Emmys or something. But Because uh, other than that, I think his last movie was Zoolander 2, which uh, wasn't his finest hour. <laughs> yeah, I, I I know I saw that. Like It took me a minute just to confirm that in my head, but... I don't remember a damn thing, so it doesn't mm-hmm. really speak well to, to how well it turned out. But it's funny. I like I mentioned this before talking to you, but I've always kind of linked uh, Danny DeVito and Ben Stiller in my in my mind. Um, I know they they collaborated on Duplex. I think you confirmed that uh, with mm-hmm. me when we talked about it last time. But just their their tone, it it's really they they seem to have like a simpatico going on there. So it made me happy for the to see them team up for something even though i don't particularly think duplex is an amazing movie by any means it was just kind of neat seeing the two of those worlds like collide um i want to say it's because uh death to smoochie has a very similar tone to cable guy um but more than that uh my dad introduced me to throw mama from the train when i was probably a little too young for it yeah and for whatever reason that movie has always stuck with me and it it strikes a very particular tone that it's very 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 dark you're not sure if you should be laughing at all the things that are happening and yet if you can if you can make your peace with that some of the funniest shit you'll ever see i don't have you ever seen throw mama from the train no i haven't seen that or death to smoochie i've got to check them i gotta check them both out i need to like uh, beef up my danny devito watches oh yeah absolutely ruthless people also but um, Death to Smoochie is very similar to Cable Guy, very divisive. Some people think it's complete crap um, and meandering garbage. Um, Throw Mama th- from the Train, I think, has a, a better reputation. But if, if you're in the mood for something Cable Guy-esque, both of those get, get a thumbs up from me. I highly right. recommend Throw Mama from the Train in particular. Yeah, uh, I'll check I, them out. I, I got a I got a really useful phrase out of Throw Mama from the Train. It's I have an enormous headache in my eye. <laughs> it's like, that's well, good. That's it, good. It's very similar to like a like you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. Like, like the the only response that can come from the, from that is just what? Yeah. <laughs> it's like don't ask. It's a, it's just a very particular type of headache. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I definitely thinking about duplex it does kind of have the same vibe as uh the cable guy from what i remember of it um been a long time since i've seen that but i can see the similarities there 
yeah no it, i some someday I'd, i i should do like a deep dive on both of them because i'm there are definitely holes in both of their filmographies like ben stiller in particular I, i'm i'm sure he's directed other films i'm not aware of but I've, I've always had a lot of confidence in him just just because of a handful of movies of his i've seen um but anyway uh you gave me a comedy you know i don't have a whole lot of those <laughs> oh, shit weirdly i have a lot of comedies here I, I don't know what that says uh just when i was younger comedies were what i would go back to and watch again and again i guess well this this is this is literally the only comedy i pulled off the shelf um and truthfully i don't think this is probably the most rewatched film i have in my stack this is maybe one of the least uh amongst all the other picks i made um, but there was a, a very specific window of my childhood where this movie was on repeat quite a bit. Um, so during that couple of years or whatever, this movie got a lot of play in the household. So I, I would count that among this. And there, there's there's a reason why this is in the stack. So only comedy I put aside, uh, one of very few comedies I even have in my collection. This is, of course, Ernest Goes to Jail. <laughs> Jim Varney stars Ernest Goes to Jail. Interesting. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's really funny ab- about our household is that mom's from Hawaii, dad's from Philly, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, and for whatever fucking reason, Ernest was really popular in our household. <laughs> like, he hits all the demographics. Yeah, he hit, like Ernest, it, he transcends cultural boundaries. He, Ernest is universal. He's universally humorous. Um I, I really liked Ernest when I was a little kid. Ernest P. Worrell is a wonderful character. He, as far as I remember, he began life as just like a product pitch man. Mm-hmm. He'd do a lot of like direct-to-camera talk, and his catchphrase was like, hey, Vern. And he'd just like sell you milk and shit. <laughs> like that, that was his shtick. But the thing about Ernest was always Jim Varney. Like as an actor, Jim Varney, much like a Jim Carrey, always had so much more to give than he was asked to and and yet like i don't feel that his his contribution was lessened because of that like like jim varney didn't he didn't do a whole lot beyond Ernest, but if you dig deep like if you look up some of his like his real material the man was an incredibly accomplished actor and they always say that comedy is one of the very hardest things to do as an actor um and he just he just had that remarkable energy to him that even when it wasn't really that fucking funny <laughs> like just just he'd find a way to put just that little bit of english on it that that made it memorable and made it special kind of similar to like the rock in his wrestling career where it's like one of the rock's biggest tricks as a wrestler was that he put his stamp on literally everything that could be done between the ropes and the, and and beyond it's like if he's gonna throw a punch, he's like, I'm gonna throw a rock punch. It's, it's like, and if I'm gonna if I'm gonna stomp a guy, I'm gonna stomp him like the rock. And I'm not just gonna do an elbow drop. I'm gonna do the people's elbow drop. So he put his signature on everything. And and Jim Varney very much did that with Ernest, where like all the random fucking characters he came up with for for all those movies, like like the the old woman persona. And I think he did like a, a Roman centurion at some point. It's just, it's like I don't even know what the fuck we're doing, but it doesn't matter because he does all of it so well. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, for whatever reason, Ernest Goes to Jail was like the one Ernest movie that we owned when I was a little kid. Uh, most of the movies we had in the household were uh, VHS rips. So somebody had two VCRs at some point and was renting shit, I'm guessing. Or or uh, I remember our, our Empire Strikes Back was definitely taken off of an HBO free weekend because the, the HBO logo would pop in and out in the bottom right corner. Um, and... Ernest Goes to Jail was was always my favorite. I remember when Ernest uh, Scared Stupid came out, and it legit kind of scared me a little bit. <laughs> um, I think I remember that. Yeah, I, I don't remember that movie very much, but I do remember there being some moments in there where it's like, oh, yeah, for kids, it's a little intense. Yeah, no, it's the the animatronic work for the the troll or whatever was was pretty gruesome, and then like he he's fucking assaulting children throughout the whole movie. It's like, and of course the the first kid that get that gets it in that movie is the kid with the glasses. So it's like ah, I'm projecting. He's coming after me, <laughs> <laughs> and I only have Ernest to save me. <laughs> but yeah, Ernest Ernest scared stupid didn't get as much play in the house because. I mean, it's holiday themed and it was legit kind of scary for me at one point. I think my brother always told me that uh, Ernest Goes to Camp was pretty good. Um, But for me, Ernest Goes to Jail is is top tier Ernest. Yeah. I I, uh, definitely am not like super well versed in the uh, Ernest verse. Um, I'm just looking up the list of films right now and... I did, uh, I think I logged it as a, re- a rewatch. I did watch uh, Ernest Saves Christmas a couple of years ago for Christmas time. And, uh, you know, the movie itself wasn't great, but I got to say, the first, like, 10 minutes of that movie, just, like, just being thrown back into the world of Ernest, I was losing it. I was cracking up at everything he did. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't know if I've ever seen uh, Ernest Goes to Jail, to be totally honest. I'm, I might have only seen... Uh, Christmas and Scared Stupid. Hmm. Um, yeah, and I didn't even know there's one called Ernest Goes to Africa. Which, yeah, that, uh, that was one of the later ones. <laughs> that might be problematic nowadays. I don't know. Um, oh, most assuredly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I can't remember if I saw that one. Uh, one of the last ones I remember seeing was Slam Dunk Ernest. Um, and literally the only thing I remember about that movie was that... Um, it's centered around him having like a pair of like sentient shoes or something that have these little eyeballs on, on the tongue of them. And I just remember this gag where they're like being finicky and he's trying to sleep or something. And if I remember right, they, uh, they separate from each other. So they jump to either side of the bed and it's implied that they like tear him in half from the, from the pelvis. up. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Ernest is invincible. That's like one of his, running gags is that yeah. no amount of punish he's like wily e. coyote it's like you can you can throw anything you got at him he's earnest he'll be fine but uh earnest goes to jail I, I think still holds up to some degree i mean it's definitely aiming at very young children mm-hmm. uh, so if you don't have any nostalgia for it um i don't think a lot of it really lands honestly but for me coming back to it as an adult because i actually haven't owned this blu-ray for that long like upon rewatching it, it it was like like revisiting childhood where it's like I I had a lot of sense memories like things like music cues would hit 
and instantly like the whole that whole chunk of the movie would just come back after being forgotten yeah. for a decade and a half and it was a really amazing feeling that is um, cool. and i found myself just remembering characters and like really weird shit like just like mannerisms um and turns of phrase uh because as a kid i didn't I was young and stupid. I didn't really understand all of the dialogue, but I remembered the sounds of the dialogue. Uh, so that's kind of how I was like remembering the movie was largely just through like sound, honestly. Um, but there's there's a lot on offer for Ernest Goes to Jail. I mean, like it actually has a coherent plot, which is not something a lot of these movies have. Uh, you have Rimshot, like the adorable little dog. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same breed as the dog from Frasier. Um, he has a, a Pee Wee Herman house because it was the style at the time. Yeah. Um, and then what's more, you get you get uh, you get to see Jim Varney actually do some of his acting shit uh, because the entire plot is a uh, it's a doppelganger story. So mm. Ernest goes to a prison and uh, he is swapped out for a, a criminal who happens to bear the same face as him, uh, Mr. <laughs> Nash. Uh, who his visual distinction is that Mr. Nash always has his hair greased back and he, mm-hmm. he does his Jim Varney smoker voice like all dialed up to 11. <laughs> and like that that's your visual indicator that you're dealing with Nash and not Ernest. But we keep jumping back and forth between the two of them. So you get to see Jim Varney like get to play more than one character for large stretches of the film. So you can tell he got to stretch his wings a little bit. And then the whole finale mm-hmm. of the movie feels feels like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Uh, they really do a good job, like setting up all the all the bowling pins for like a, a really awesome strike at the end in terms of just like bonkers physical comedy. Because the the movie opens with him doing like a Tom and Jerry routine with a, a floor washer that involves him just utterly destroying an office. And then we call back to that numerous times, and then it ends up you know surprise surprise kind of saving the day. Um, but yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. It, it's conducted over the series of like a whole bunch of vignettes. You can tell the the script had structure, but not that much structure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it doesn't get like a super high recommend from me. But like as a piece of nostalgia and something that I watched on repeat quite a few times when I was a little kid, it's a uh, it's special to me. Uh, especially the uh, Ernest P. Worrell Electro Man sequence, <laughs> which um, certainly got rewound and played back uh, numerous times because I just like that part. It's he. So in addition to being invincible, Ernest is kind of like Godzilla in that he can he can obtain random superpowers depending on who's in the director's seat. So at one point, Godzilla in a Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla uh, became an atomic magnet. Because he got he got struck by lightning, you see, Brad. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, obviously, yeah. it gives you magnetic powers. It's 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 science. <laughs> and same goes with Ernest. Uh, he gets electrocuted, and he discovers, hey, every time I go electrocuted, I turn into a magnet. And sure enough, uh, it it results in him becoming like a walking uh, lightning rod. And uh, there's a sequence in the prison when he's breaking out of prison where he he's chucking lightning bolts at things. And I thought it was awesome when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two things. Well, I guess actually three things I want to say. First of all, I'm glad you mentioned this movie because sometimes I think about these movies and I feel like I'm being like Mandela affected and like nobody remembers them or nobody like I, I don't know just a weird thing where it's like I wasn't really into them and I'm like did they were, was that a thing like did they exist um, also 
which uh, you know, I, I li- from what I remember, I like these movies, and I don't want to you know say anything. I don't want to disparage your pick here, but uh, I just want to <laughs> highlight on the Wikipedia page for Ernest Goes to Jail under the review section. It simply says uh, the reviews for the movie were universally negative. No other context given, no Rotten Tomatoes, no a snippet of a review. That's all it says. And then uh, I got to mention one of the uh, direct-to-video uh, direct Ernest films, Ernest Goes to School, directed by Coke Sams, who I don't know who he is, but just that's a great name, Coke Sams. Like, that's Coke, a great name. Coke Sams. <laughs> like, I mean, his name may as well be Kirkland's signature. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, I think he was, it looks like he was a producer on most of the other ones, um, but they let him direct uh, Ernest, was it Goes to School? Is that what I said? Yeah. And uh, that's about that's about all he did. I mean, he directed a few other things that I don't recognize, but Coke Sam's, great name. Okay. Well, I you know, you got to give Ernest Goes to Jail like just a half-star bump for a Randall Tex Cobb. Um, he only has one line of dialogue in the whole movie, but his physical presence is fantastic in it. Like if you look up you a go. still image of how he looks in the movie, Brad, he has the best haircut. It's like he has he looks like Barf from Spaceballs, but it, but it's not <laughs> ears; it's just his hair. And yeah. all he does is stand in the background, look intimidating, and then he he turns out to be a nice guy at the end because shocker, he seems like a nice guy in real life. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you need to give a half star to Randall Tex Cobb. Hey, I'll do it when I watch it. I'll do it. I'll give it that half star bump. <laughs> You're not gonna watch it, Brad. <laughs> I I wouldn't say don't I, don't say now. If these pop up on like a streaming service, I could see myself marathoning them all. Honestly, uh, let let's be honest here, Brad. Ernest is readily available on Tubi. <laughs> is it? Oh, yeah, no, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, haven't yeah. I haven't checked, but I will I will I will jump to conclusions and assume that all of the Ernest films are readily available on Tubi. I would assume, yeah, that's that's a good fit. That's a good fit for them. <laughs> that's where they belong. <laughs> okay, well, that's a, that's enough yeah. talking about the the earnest verse, Brad. Uh, what's your next pick? Um, let's go with I don't know. Let's just go with this one because I don't really the movie itself. It's been talked to death. Like, there's not really much interesting to say about the movie, but I will just mention it in terms of it being the most rewatched. In that uh, it is the most rewatched movie I've ever seen in a theater, which uh, was I saw it four times in theaters. So certainly says something about the film. And that is uh, Christopher Nolan's Inception, which uh, I mean, nowadays I can't even imagine having the time and the the desire to watch a movie four times in theaters. I just I can't. I don't know if that I don't know if that'll ever happen again. I really don't. Like, how did I? I mean, I'll tell you how I had the time. I was in high school, I mean, that was it was the summer, and I was in high school. That that's how I had the time. Um, but yeah, four times in theaters, it was it was something, and it was the first three times I was into it every single time. Um, this was the movie where I went on a date and we accidentally didn't sit next to each other, so there was that. Um, but <laughs> Um, it was the f- the fourth time. It was I was with a group of people who hadn't seen it, and they wanted to go see it. And I was like, okay, I'll go see it again. Fourth time, I was getting a little sick of Inception. I was like, I'm a little Inceptioned out right now. But uh, those first three times, I was still into it each time. And I've I've definitely seen it several times uh, on 
on home media. This is the uh, the 4K, which I don't know if I've actually watched the 4K because the last time I watched it was in Fortnite um, when they they premiered the movie in Fortnite, and uh, you could watch it. Your your character could go to the big screen and watch it, and you could see people chucking. I don't even remember what melons or I don't even know what people do in that game. I don't play that shit, but had to go watch Inception in Fortnite as Christopher Nolan intended. Um, and because that was the, my, 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 uh, hypothesis that it, they were going to actually show Tenet as a surprise screening, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I do, I do love Inception. I, it's honestly, I think it is my favorite Nolan film. It's not perfect by any means, but I've got a big soft spot for it. Yeah. I'm due for a rewatch on Inception to be honest. Cause I think I've only seen it once to be honest. And I think it was in the theater. Uh, so I, I have not seen it nearly as many times as you. I don't know it nearly as intimately. Um, I, I remember yeah. having some issues with the the third act. Um, not even the third act, really, uh, because the, the way the film is structured is very unique. It, it was more anything involving the snow landscape. I was thoroughly checked out. It was just like, okay, yeah. I, I just found that part of it just not terribly engaging and we we kind of dilly dally around in there while much 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 more interesting things are going on um and it suffers a little bit from uh christopher nolan's seeming aversion to to violence as a as a form of spectacle he likes action not violence Mm -hmm. and it results in a lot of situations of people pointing guns in people's general direction and then people either falling down or just like kind of listing out of the frame uh, he's he's really not fond of showing graphic detail when it comes to violence. Um, and in the case of, you know, a bunch of people zipping around shooting at each other in the snow, it's like, I could use some fireballs every once in a while. I could use some 90s expo- gasoline explosions every now and again just to spice it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the, the structure of the film, the way it's edited together, um, in my memory anyway, uh, is truly remarkable. Uh, like the the editing of it very much is like a magic trick unto itself. I think it's fitting that you know he would do a movie about m- magic because <laughs> I, I think that's how he he thinks of films as as a form of modern modern day magic. And yeah, the structure of the edits of that film once once they do the what's the terminology they use uh, to to jump into different layers of dreams. Um. Well, it's I like, know when they wake up, it's called the kick. Yeah. Yeah. That's what wakes them up. Yeah. So but I, I don't remember what it's called when they go further down. I've only seen the movie eighteen fucking times, but uh No, I I remember I remember the kick, but um yeah. I don't know if there was terminology to support that. But um just like balancing all of that in the final ed of the film, keeping track of all those those elements very difficult. You have to have a very particular set of skills to make that really work and for the most part I feel they did. Mm-hmm. Um I remember reading that uh, Hans Zimmer's score for the movie, uh, there's a piece of music that plays uh, earlier in the film that apparently they transposed onto the, the dream portions of the film. And the way they composed it was they like literally stretched the composition to, to match the, the time situation in the film. Um, sounds really interesting on paper. I can't really remember how it actually felt uh, to listen to. <laughs> it's like you know that could sound really cool on paper but like in actuality it sounds like dog shit <laughs> but no i actually don't remember but i i do know that the soundtrack is often praised so more than likely it was successful on that front but 
I have never seen a movie in theaters four times. Um, I think, I think I've only seen like a couple of movies twice. Um, one You've of which never done a three a three peat. You've never done a three peat. Never done a three peat. Uh, the only two movies that I've seen more than once. Uh, I'm kind of embarrassed by uh, at least one of them. Anyway, it was uh, Men in Black Two of all fucking things. Ooh. Like yeah, arguably the least of the Men in Black films aside from maybe International, which I. I don't need to see. I, oh, I, I forgot. Yeah, that's right. I, most shit, people forget I'm, that even exists. I need to see that still. I just don't. I can't be bothered. I, I just don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I really just don't care. Um, even though I do generally like Men in Black 1, I, I love. Like, that. that's a movie that I should own. I don't for some reason, but it, I watch that a shit ton of times. I love that movie. But Men in Black 2... It's not great, but it was there was a, there was a girl involved, and you know I lied and was like, yeah, I haven't seen that not so great movie. <laughs> so yeah. I got an invitation. I didn't I didn't know how to how to go about that, so I just said yes. That that happens, man. You got to take one for the team, and in this case, the team being yourself. Yeah. So it, it you know I, I got to I got to see a mediocre movie a second time that wasn't it wasn't the worst way to spend an evening but the the other one i saw twice was um the dark knight rises and again it was because of a woman <laughs> seeing a theme here brad uh it was a situation where i again was asked to go see it and i kind of just was like yeah i've already seen it but sure yeah. <laughs> um yeah yeah it, so basically if you've seen a movie in theaters and i invite you to go again you won't you won't go see a movie in theaters again for me <laughs> I, I don't know I'm, I'm generally a nice guy i'm a people pleaser if if you asked me i probably would go with you brad <laughs> you, you mentioned dark knight rises i may have seen that one three times i know i saw it twice for sure because i saw it once at just a regular screening um and then i did see it again in imax and I don't know, man. It might have been only twice. I'm tr- now I'm trying to think, has there been any time where I've seen something three times, or do I only have two and the one four? And I can't think. Of, I'm trying to think what else I would have seen three times. But oh, well, you're thinking uh, Dark Knight Rises I actually saw for the first time in kind of a cool way. Uh, it was the first time I've ever done anything. Well, first and probably only time I've ever done anything like that. Um, I drove down to Olympia, which is about 70 miles south of where I'm at, uh, to meet up with a, my good buddy, and uh, we went to a, a midnight premiere, uh, preceded by both Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Uh, so I got to spend what nine hours in the theater or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I snuck in a bunch of Cliff Bars and was backed up for like a week after. <laughs> cliff Bars do not have friendly fiber. I'll just say that much. <laughs> hey, you got to do the marathon. You got to do it though. I mean, come on. I mean, it, it ended up being a really good time. Like, I was tired as shit, especially after that drive. But um, it it was a really important movie for me. I was hyped about it in a way that I seldom get for, for you know, big mainstream movies and stuff. Um, and it ended up being not half bad, if you ask me. A lot of people shit yeah. on that movie, but I, I think it's fine. Like, I don't think it's all good. Yeah, yeah, it was good enough. Um, mm-hmm. But Inception, I would like to watch again. Um Folks at home, if you're not aware, uh, Brad actually talked in detail about his Fortnite experience watching Inception. Uh, truly hysterical stuff. Uh, I yeah. I installed and played Fortnite for like 20 minutes total 
uh, several years ago, and and I came to the conclusion I am too fucking old for this shit. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, fair. Yeah, no, I I I would need an extra pair of arms and set of eyes just to get a handle on the controls for that game. But um, it is still incredibly popular, and it's still being. I think they're using it as like a testing lab for content delivery services mm-hmm. because yeah. it's so incredibly popular and because it has such an immense player base. And just from a sheer like technical perspective, I think it's it's a it's a really interesting test kitchen uh, for product exhibition because the logistics of making these these servers work uh, is probably really in, really interesting stuff that's way above either of our heads. But oh, yeah. I mean, they just had a Ariana Grande concert in there, and then they had the the Marshmallow one a few years ago. That was the first mm-hmm. one. Um, and yeah, I I think you're absolutely right, Brad. That probably somebody was testing the waters for like what if we did a movie premiere in in Fortnite at some point so maybe maybe not for tenant but down the line i will not be shocked at all uh if we do see an actual movie premiere via Fortnite someday could be clifford clifford got delayed could be <laughs> could be clifford yeah and as of recording this apparently uh, venom 2 got delayed as well yeah, uh, could be Venom. Could be Venom. They only delayed it a month to throw us off. No, but, uh, they're they're saving it for Morbius. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, yeah. What is that scheduled? I have no fucking clue. That that movie, I'm just like, why? <laughs> like, why? Yeah. <laughs> Who the yeah. fuck yeah. gives a shit about Morbius? That is top tier Fortnite material. That would be that fit right at home with Fortnite. I mean to to quote the Red Lightning Media guys, that that movie just reeks of fuck you it's January where it's yeah. like we don't have a home for this so we're just going to dump it in January and hope yeah. for the best cuz yeah, yeah I, I'm sorry nobody nobody cares about Morbius and I'm pretty sure we're not that thirsty for for new vampire content. Although I have I have heard that uh the Twilight uh franchise has had a bit of a reevaluation uh, amidst COVID, uh, because mm. everybody was stuck indoors and they're they're wanting their uh, I don't know media security blankets. So everybody yeah. went back to the things that they're into when they were young, and now apparently people are softening on that. So may- maybe we're due for uh, more vampire shit. Uh, I, I don't I don't think Morbius is going to be the tip of that particular spear though. No, I'm so out on that movie. It's not even like no, I, yeah yeah no. How, how could how could you care? But um, yeah, uh, Brad's Brad's experience watching Inception and Fortnite was really incredible to hear him and his buddy talk about, though. Because uh, well, thank you, thank you. Oh yeah, uh, you, you made it sound like it was a bunch of kids throwing like digital tomatoes at the screen, and that's that's right, tomatoes. That's what it was. Yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. tomatoes, and then you said there were some kind of like trampolines rigged up. That it sounded like people could set them under you or something. Yeah. So like be... your perspective would get jostled. <laughs> And then people would be trying to like get into like corners, like you could get into a corner where they couldn't throw a trampoline on you, and then people would just be standing there trying to find like go to every single possible angle to try and get the trampoline under you, and eventually they would. So you'd get you'd find a nice spot for five minutes, and then you'd launch up in the air, and yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun, man. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I think it could only be fun if it's a movie you already know really well. Like in yeah. my like in my case, if it was like Wayne's World or something, it's just like I, I I already know. It doesn't really matter if I'm watching it or not. I'm just kind of here. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yep. but if it was like a premiere or something, Brad, I'm pretty sure you would be like on the fucking phone with the administrators of Fortnite, be like, these fucking kids are setting trampolines under me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but I, that's why I thought, uh, you know, if Christopher Nolan, he he was really uh, upset at theaters shutting down. If he really wanted to give him the big middle finger, I mean, that's what just drop it in tenant or d- drop tenant in Fortnite, man. Yeah, he didn't he didn't quite go that route. Honestly, that might have been better for the movie. I mean, I don't know what that the release of that movie I don't think went Christopher Nolan's way, to be honest. Yeah, actually, like in in the midst of all this, uh, I don't know, separation news between Scarlett Johansson and and Marvel and and delays of all these big movies. Uh, very quietly on the side we also have the warner brothers and christopher nolan situation where it's like he wasn't particularly happy with them nor was he quiet about it so Mm -hmm. i haven't heard anything about any official separations or strained relations but that wasn't pretty um and it stands to reason that it might affect relations going forward so we'll see how that plays out yeah Um, hopefully hopefully it works out though because i really do value christopher nolan's presence in the media landscape like he his movies i don't think are the best movies but they're distinct products and i'm really glad that we get them every once in a while because they really oh, are yeah. there's a sense of like authorship that that's just not there with a lot of the other shit that's out there so it's yeah even if it's not great it it's kind of neat knowing that it's like hey i know what to expect <laughs> you got to get hype for it you got to get hype yeah you got so. it <laughs> yeah Okay, well, that was Inception. Um, so where do I go from there? Shit. Uh, I'm going to throw you a curveball, Brad. Uh, so this one doesn't play off of your pick at all. Um, holy shit. <laughs> I never realized how bad the cover art was. Oh, boy. Let's, uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, again, very similar to some of the other covers I've held up to the webcam. You probably can't tell uh, because of the low res, but uh, the the resolution used for the cover photo is just... You can see the pixels. Pixels as big as cats, as they would say. Uh, so this is something that came from a, a really neat period of time uh, where we were getting TV movies. Uh, you remember that, Brad? Like, I don't know. Do they still do that? Like, I think ever since like the seventies, like like TV movies, like event movies, were a really big thing, mm-hmm. and very few of them were actually good. But like, it actually felt like it mattered. Like, like the world would just stop, and everybody would just be like, "Oh, Stephen King's It spread yeah. across two nights. We gotta watch that." It's like, was it oh, any yeah. good? It was fine. <laughs> I watched it. <laughs> yep. But like every few years, especially in the 90s, TV movies were a really, really big thing. Um, and there were only a handful that I personally got invested in because I was a dumb fucking kid. But uh, this was one of them. <laughs> uh, so this was Peter Benchley's The Beast. Oh, okay. And I'm pretty sure that photo they used for the the woman in the bikini i think she's smiling like i'm pretty sure they used a stock photo of a woman coming out of the water and i think i don't even think they doctored her expression i'm pretty sure she's just kind of like going <laughs> i mean maybe she's into that kind of thing some people are into those uh tentacles yeah but um i'm not sure if you're familiar with the source material for this but this along with uh creature 
which came out, I think, a few years after this, were two uh, TV movies that really leaned heavily into Peter Benchley's name because it was during the 90s in particular, I seem to remember Shark Week was becoming a thing, and bolstering that was uh, Jaws being on endless repeat right there folks amen brother amen yeah jaws was on repeat Preach on, on like tnt and tbs and usa pretty much all the the cable networks throughout all of the 90s which is how i came to know and love jaws again a movie i watched with my dad countless times again a movie that is probably over here in multiple formats <laughs> um but uh, I think because Jaws being very, very successful on cable and Shark Week on Discovery being very, very, very successful, uh, we got a lot of Peter Benchley adaptations uh, in the form of The Beast and Creature, uh, starring Craig T. Nelson. But The Beast was a two-parter, as was Creature. Um, and this one was headlined by William Peterson, the the CSI guy, the Manhunter guy. Um, yeah. And I didn't know him as either of those things when I saw this. I just knew this as the giant squid movie. Um, and, of course, my dad was telling me that, oh, Peter Benchley, that's the guy who did that movie with the shark that you like. So, like, when I knew that, I was like, giant squid, shark guy. Oh, my God, I don't even care if it's good. I need to watch this shit. Yeah. Uh, so I, I had my parents record this off the television, uh, on, again, on VHS. Uh, <laughs> I think only the second half of it actually saved, though. Because all of my memories of watching this countless times as a child only involved watching part two. Yeah. Which which picks off at a very abrupt point where it's just like, if you don't remember what happened in that first part, good luck. We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. Um, but uh, the plot of this is really basic uh, monster movie or eat em up uh, material. Very similar to like uh, Gorgo, if you're at all familiar with that. I don't uh, think so. Gorgo is a pretty good one. Uh, it's a, it's like Godzilla but British. Um, okay. And I think it came out in the '60s. It uses the same uh, special effects technology, so man in a rubber dinosaur costume, but transposed onto London. Um, and the miniature work is really, really good in it. You get to see him trash Big Ben, which is pretty cool. Um, but on top of that, it it be, it also has a uniquely British sensibility about it. And it translates into the the destruction scenes. Like remembering it now as an adult, it's like, huh, that kind of makes sense that they'd show a lot of scenes of Gorgo smashing buildings and having rubble fall on people because you know they did kind of go through that whole World War II thing. So a lot of the people making this movie less than twenty years down the road probably know what that looked like. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I mean by the connection to Gorgo, though, is uh, Jaws 3, actually, is one that you might know better. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember the story of Jaws 3 at all? Like the actual, like the plot of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the all-important plot of Jaws 3. Okay, I didn't know if you meant, like, there was, like, some behind-the-scenes story. No, no. Um, I mean, it's at a, uh, like, an aquarium or something, right? It's uh, SeaWorld. And yeah. I-, I mean, really, the answer to the plot of Jaws 3 is Dennis Quaid wears short shorts. <laughs> and screams a lot <laughs> there, yeah. and there's your movie um oh yeah and the manimals in it as well but um no the, the plot of jaws 3 involves two sharks so we have a red herring type situation in the form of oh there's a shark in sea world we got to do something about it. we got to catch the shark oh no it turns out the shark had a mom that's even bigger and is really pissed mm. off 
and that's the plot of the beast except for the okay. giant squid of all things where it's like the first part one because it was spread out across two nights because that was the style at the time even if you really didn't have a script to support it <laughs> a lot of these movies just farted the fuck around i don't know how i had the patience for them to be honest as a kid somehow i did but um yeah so the plot of the beast is there's a a giant squid in some new like i think it's like maine or like some new england port town or something a giant fucking squid attacks them uh they kill it with rifles go figure that's that's what you do to kill a squid apparently uh then it turns out it has a mom that's emotional about the loss of its squid child oh (laughs) yeah the the mom's bigger and angry and you know goes to town like on the town via the sea uh so it turns into it at the very end it literally turns into jaws with every all the important characters getting on a boat going out to sea and fighting a giant squid and it's a it's a fun one Uh, i would highly recommend it because i know obviously you have the poster behind you brad you're a big fan of eat-em-ups you're a big fan of jaws uh poster of jaws not of uh the the beast or whatever uh... <laughs> the television movie the beast <laughs> yeah the the not well remembered television movie that for whatever reason i latched on to i think my two favorite television movies aside from stephen king stuff because most of that is pretty good the langoliers can can suck a lemon <laughs> uh, but um most of the stephen king ones were pretty good but i think yeah the beast and uh the armand Sante uh odyssey uh two-parter uh i think those are my two favorite television movies i also have that one on dvd okay yeah for me i pretty much the ones that i know are all the stephen king ones yeah. those are pretty much um now i can't remember that's a dvd that you held up right yes now uh could potentially uh vinegar syndrome last uh well a few, a few months ago now but they came out with a new box set called televised terror volume one is there any hope that uh they, this could be included in a future uh box set with the uh televised terror uh, label uh doubtful um this one says nbc universal um but the disc looks like it was put out by timeless media group who I have no idea who they are, but the fact that it's tied in with Universal would suggest that maybe even for something like Peter Benchley's The Beast, uh, licensing could be difficult. Yeah. Um, but that would be cool. I know uh, Creature, which, if you ask me, is a vastly inferior film. Uh, I know that has a Blu-ray release, uh, oh, which, wow. which okay. was really shocking to me. I've had that like dog-eared on my, uh, my movie wish list for ages, I don't expect I'll ever end up buying that because aside from the novelty of Craig T. Nelson in the Bahamas or whatever, like coach in the Bahamas, (laughs) aside from that, it really has very little to offer. Although um, something that was really cool in my childhood was my dad uh, told me about makeup effects artists when I was young, uh, Rick Baker, uh, who he Mm -hmm. endlessly hyped uh, because of uh, American Werewolf in London. Uh, He like really hammered it into my head from a very early age that this is top tier shit respect it <laughs> um and then beyond that though stan winston uh he kind of i don't know how he knew but he told me all about stan winston and how like you know a lot of the coolest shit that you like came from this goofy looking guy with glasses <laughs> it was like oh stan nice. um so stan winston even in childhood was a selling point for me like a big one and uh the and creature 
used him as an advertising point that they, oh, they okay. said like Stan Winston did the creature effects for it for, for creature. Um, that element of it is actually quite good. The design of the monster is kind of awesome. It's, it's a, uh, well, kind of funny that we just have a, uh, the recent release of James Gunn's suicide squad because, uh, the monster in it is a bipedal humanoid shark. Uh, oh, very similar go. to King Shark, um, and uh, yeah, the the creature in creatures it's supposed to be I think like uh, a shark dolphin man. Yeah, on paper that sounds fucking stupid. Okay. <laughs> um, it looks fantastic, but they because it's a TV movie they don't do shit with it. Like in terms of gore, there is nothing on offer, and it's it's really disappointing because of that. Because the thing looks amazing, but you don't you don't let it do nothing. At least the beast like racks up a fucking body count. Like oh, that's good. Like yeah. the the special effects in the be- in beast are like questionable as fuck. Like it's mostly like rubber tentacle shit where it's just you know the guy doing the ah. It's, they're doing the uh, Bea Lugosi routine in in Ed Wood where they drape the tentacle over themselves and then fight it. Like ah, yeah. I can't seem to pry myself free. <laughs> Never mind that I'm making it worse. <laughs> it's mostly that shit it's it's a lot of that and uh stage hands from just outside the frame throwing fun noodles at people <laughs> and then like a, a little bit of stop motion um and i don't know it, it's i i was able to see past all of that as a kid and even to this day i kind of have a soft spot for this movie and i think a large part of it comes from the peter benchley factor to be honest yeah where it's Peter Benchley as put through someone else as a buffer because I read Jaws. That movie is so much better than that book. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So if you take Peter Benchley's ideas and his characters and you put them through a little bit of a filter, you can get some good shit out of it as evidenced by Jaws. But um, what I mean by the Peter Benchley-isms is just the fucking town. Like the, the town has a pleasant feel to it. And then when, when the sea monster tears these people apart you care just enough um i mean it's not anywhere near equal to jaws but it's a pleasant watch unfortunately is it is a two-part television movie so it's not kind to your your schedule (laughs) but like i said uh most of my memories of it are just watching the second half uh so i kind of found my own way to watch it uh probably the better way honestly because my God, some of these movies just fart the fuck around for like a half an hour at a time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, so was this based on a novel by Peter it Benchley? Was. It was. Okay, I didn't know if like NBC was like, hey, we'll give you a couple grand or whip up a quick script that we can slap your name on and advertise as the guy from Jaws. But okay, it was based on one of his novels. No, it, um, Creature was as well. Um, I didn't finish reading Creature. Uh, I did read The Beast, um the ending is totally different in the book uh in the book it's really fucking lame uh a deus ex machina whale shows up and eats the beast it's like oh thanks whale (laughs) but in this one we get we get a gasoline explosion because you know 90s (laughs) Uh, yeah so what year was it exactly oh shit um let me see here 1996 well, I mean, it sounds like with the effects, sounds like it's lucky because if it had been a few years later, you might have gotten some real dodgy uh, CG seeping in there. Brad, 
I'm so glad you brought that up. And this will be the last thing I say about the beast. Um, is a uh, do you remember the fervor that was built up in the promotion for Godzilla 1998? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I remember the the fervor other than uh, uh, Rage Against the Machine being on the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so God, Godzilla 1998. I've, I've shared this story countless times, so I won't repeat it in detail. Only movie my my mother ever apologized to me for taking me to see on my yeah. birthday. Uh, because as i mentioned earlier godzilla was and continues to be one of my very favorite things in in movies um and i was so goddamn hyped for that movie Uh, because you know it's it's a big budget american godzilla movie uh i was what 11 at the time so just young enough where i could still be hurt by such things (laughs) but um that movie just like slapped me in the dick and said walk it off son (laughs) like (laughs) we'll we'll do we'll do good like a decade later um but yeah um surrounding the hype for that movie was very similar to like a home alone although preemptively uh actually more similar to carnosaur and jurassic park so what happened was the marketing train was was right rolling along for godzilla 1998 so so strongly that a whole bunch of people decided to preemptively release Godzilla adjacent film productions. <laughs> so Carnosaur famously, because it's a Richard uh, Roger Corman uh, production, was actually released prior to Jurassic Park because okay. he's Roger Corman. He knows Jurassic Park's going to be a mega hit. So yeah. if he puts his out first, it's like, I wasn't imitating them. I was I was ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah, that guy's a genius. I, I hope yeah. we I hope we get a really awesome documentary about him before he passes, because that guy has a lot of cool stories. But mm-hmm. um for Godzilla nineteen ninety eight, I, I remember distinctly there were at least two T V movies all sporting some of the most awful fucking CGI you can imagine on like major basic cable networks like nbc or abc or one of those and one of them i think was uh it's like gigantus or something or it, there were there were two of them though there were yeah. two of these movies two separate like godzilla adjacent properties that came out prior to the release of this thing and they were both they were both total fucking shit i think one was like behemoth or something and the other was something also implying bigness of some sort. And they both totally fucking sucked. And I, you better believe I watched both of them. <laughs> but, of course. But, yeah, Spe- it was terrible. I mean, especially if they're free on TV. I mean, why would you not? Yeah. No, but I, I'll never forget that. It was it was either around the release of Godzilla or and or The Lost World. Because that, that Lost World, I think, came out only a year prior. Uh, so large reptilian things were a really big deal, uh, yeah. even for television movies at the time. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you brought up uh, Godzilla 98 because uh, I didn't pull it off the shelf, but uh, unfortunately I could have because uh, I was I was younger, so I was, you know, not old enough to be hurt or however you put it. I was <laughs> where it couldn't hurt me. I was too young. I was too young to know any better. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because like both you and Kyle both have that kind of relationship with that movie. It's like it, it's hard for me to step into your shoes and like be like, how could you not be like grossly offended by that piece of shit? <laughs> but in, in recent years, I have 
softened quite a bit. Like Kyle and I, one of the earliest things we did for catching up on Sinem was was a compare and contrast with Godzilla 2014 and 1998. And I was very, I feel that I was very fair to that movie. I, mm-hmm. I, I do feel like, much like a lot of uh, Roland Emmerich movies, starts off really, really, really strong. Like first 40 minutes of that movie are great. Mm-hmm. And then it starts... And, and the, well actually you you see the damn thing and then it's like oh well <laughs> I, I guess we're done folks <laughs> yeah that's it it's over yep we had fun <laughs> yeah well, anyway that yep. was the beast so brad the ball is to you sir what you got well you know i'm gonna go with a movie that i know for sure you have not seen unless you've watched it within the last month but i doubt it um and it's it's a movie that I, I'm honestly am kind of shocked that you haven't seen it. To be honest, every time you say I haven't seen this one yet, I'm like I'm very surprised, very surprised. Uh, and that is, uh, let's, let's I don't even know how, how to lead up to it. Let's just say it. It's Shaun of the Dead, Shaun of the Dead, which is the only film from the Cornetto trilogy that you have not seen. Uh, correct. Correct. And I don't mean I don't mean to drag in the mud or anything when I say that. It's not, that sounded more uh, hostile than I wanted it to. Um, but uh, I love Shaun of the Dead, and I, I like the whole Cornetto trilogy. But definitely for me, Shaun of the Dead is the best one. And I think simple reason is while I love Hot Fuzz and The World's End, Shaun of the Dead is it's a great comedy. It's very clever. It's funny. But it is such a good zombie movie. It is, inc- it's incredible that this movie that is kind of like a spoof of the zombie genre, uh, a comedy first and foremost. How much better it is at being a zombie movie than ninety nine percent of zombie movies, like that are just straight up trying to be a zombie horror film. Like everything with them trying to get to the bar and just like the plan, and just like you know, kind of the you know, being with a relatable group of people trying to survive the zombie apocalypse. Sure. There's the, the jokes and the gags and the goofy stuff, but it really does feel like a group of people that you know and would hang out with and what you would maybe do if you were in the middle of London and a zombie apocalypse hit. Um, yeah, I've seen this movie tons of times. Uh, one of those movies that you can annoyingly quote. I've seen it so many times. Um, and I think it's uh, I think it's Edgar Wright's uh, best film. I think uh, it's uh, it's been all downhill from here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I do love this movie a lot, and it's one that you know I could just put on and just watch anytime. Like I don't have cable anymore, but if I did, it would be the kind of film where if it's on cable, you would sit down and watch it till the end. No, I've I've heard nothing but good things about Shaun of the Dead, and I I owe it to myself to get around to watching it because like you said of the cornetto trilogy it's the only one i haven't seen it's the first one and from what i understand most people think of it as the best one although there was a stretch of time and this may have to do with the stretch of time which i'm referencing here where i feel like uh, hot fuzz got a lot of love showered on it um, but again, that may have just been the general age group of the people that I was surrounded by. Like, I think mm-hmm. we were all in our like early twenties, like probably straight out of college or something. So it's like, I, I could see that being like a moment in time or something, but upon rewatching, I wouldn't doubt it that Shaun of the Dead's the superior of them. Um, but yeah, what, like when you say it's like a, an exceptional, just straight up zombie movie, does that have to do with like 
the the situations they find themselves in the emotionality like where where does that come from yeah i would say i would say both those things i mean like the characters you know it's it's not only existing for laughs like there's some really solid stuff with the characters and i mean that's the case in pretty much all of the cornetto films like the the main friendship is very strong um but i mean just like it's a great film in terms of like the gore like there's some great gore in here and especially watching this at an age where i don't want to say i was too young to see it but it was there's some there's a couple moments in here where it's like whoa I, I don't think I've seen that in a movie before and now it's like okay I've now I go back and I'm like oh that was a reference to this zombie movie blah, blah, blah. but it's like at the time like kind of like shocking stuff um, and it gets very dark at times too there's without getting into spoilers there's some some deaths that are very emotional and very hard on the characters and it kind of like the comedy just goes away for like there's a solid chunk of the I think people who have seen the film will know kind of what I'm talking about. There's a good solid sequence of the movie where it gets like real serious and there's like some, you know, moral debates going on and like, you know, bring up some interesting ideas that are like absent from a lot of zombie films. Like it, it really gets into, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just uh, a really great film. Um, it's, you know, like something kind of similar to Dawn of the Dead, like the idea of, going to this place to sort of like seek shelter and getting there. And then like, eventually it kind of all turns to shit in the third act. And even though they don't get to the bar until close to the end of the film, but uh, it's kind of got that same feel to it. And uh, yeah, I love this film. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. I don't know what it is about the zombie movie, like as a, as a genre, but it, for whatever reason, for like my brother and myself and like all of our, people in our social circle but the zombie movie always felt like the the first movie we all want to make and mm-hmm. for some reason it it makes that particular subgenre like especially beloved where it's like there, there's some sort of resonance there where it's like you yeah i think a lot of it has to do with the structure of it like you said like all, all the characters and the and the idea of getting together a, a close-knit group of people to to go and like seek shelter or something it, it's very relatable regardless of what kind of person or what kind of upbringing you had. Um, and in terms of resources, all you need is a couple of shithead friends that are willing to uh, roll around in the mud a little bit and go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and maybe maybe a bottle of ketchup or something. <laughs> if yeah. if and, you're ambitious. <laughs> and I got to just see, like think, give this film credit how... I mean, obviously there were zombie movies well before this, but really the huge zombie boom of the 2000s like this film kind of along with the dawn of the dead remake like kind of kicked it off i mean i mean zombies were just like everywhere from the mid 2000s to like 20 like even today it's it's still i mean it's kind of died down a little bit but it's still there and i mean this film if it came out now it'd probably be like all right we've seen this shit a million times before but at the time it was i think was ahead of the curve no, it kind of similar to a Christmas story. The the general ubiquity of zombie properties these days is it's we've reached critical mass such that I personally have distanced myself from that stuff quite a bit because I, I'm just a little bit tired of it. Um, but every once in a while, I'll like be flipping around on the internet and I'll just see like The Walking Dead has how many spinoffs? And, and all of them are how many seasons deep? Like, this shit never ends. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. 
Yeah. It's it's crazy. No, um, it's it's bonkers. Bananas even. Um, <laughs> but Brett, let me ask you: Have you have you ever seen a Bio Zombie? Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay, I think it came out in the late '90s. I want to say I'm guessing uh, like '98. Uh, it's directed by Wilson Yip, uh, same guy who made Yip Man and all, quite a few of Donnie Yen's bigger movies from the mid 2000s onward. Um, it's an exceptional little zombie movie. It's a it's a Hong Kong film, but my brother uh, bought a bootleg DVD of it ages ago, and he introduced me to it when I was probably in like high school or something. Um, and that that's like an underseen one that it's worth a watch because it, it yeah. it's very much of its time. Uh, it's very similar to like a Dawn of the Dead because it takes place in a shopping mall, but it has it has a really particular like semi-anarchic kind of feel to it where it's very much a youth-oriented movie where they they just kind of throw all the editing rules and conventions out the window like there's a straight up like video game reference in there it's almost like a i think it's a nod to like resident evil where they're like introducing all the characters and showing all the like their weapons and stuff and it's like this girl's got a fucking frying pan (laughs) and nothing else um but they do a lot of really interesting character work in there like there's a romance between a uh i think he's like working in a sushi restaurant in the mall and he's like this nerdy guy who gets infected and becomes a zombie but he's still trying to like cater to the girl he likes so he's not trying to bite her he's trying to romance her and he's still like trying to make sushi for her um and then yeah. without spoiling it the the ending for it is is one that's like i don't know if i should be mad at this movie for having this good of an ending like because it's like man somebody out there is just like super fucking jealous that they can't use that as their ending because it's like it it punches so so high above its weight when it gets to its final sequence it's like what how what (laughs) yeah i'm looking up some images of it It, i mean it looks pretty cool i'm kind of getting a pretty good sense of what i think it kind of is based on this but uh it looks fun i mean i've talked about being ahead of the curve i mean this movie in 98 geez it was 98 yeah, ninety-eight. Well, yeah, that's what it says here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. I I remembered. I didn't expect I would, but um, fun is the key word. Like it's meant to be fun. It's definitely got a little bit of Sam Raimi Evil Dead in there for sure. Um, but I would highly recommend it. It's a it's an exceptional little zombie movie. Um, and it does retain that sense of fun that I want to say Shaun of the Dead probably has in fits and spurts. But like. I don't know. You, you you probably know Edgar Wright better than I do, like as a director. But he he seems to have a knack for like balancing a lot of really complex tonality uh, throughout his films, where he he's not afraid to make things like deathly serious from time to time, and yet somehow you walk away from the thing feeling like it was fairly cohesive. Although Baby Driver, I would argue that wasn't exactly a hundred percent successful. <laughs> yeah, see, that's why I'm almost thinking a lot of it might be. I mean, he did write the trilogy, but I think a lot of it might be in the scripts. I mean, I think you're I mean, right, Brad. <laughs> yeah, like I, I hate to, this guy. If what is it called, Last Night in Soho or what, whatever his next movie is, if that movie's not a banger, then I think we, I think we've got a case on our hands. I think we might have to take him to movie court. That, <laughs> He has been he has been soaking in the success that Simon Pegg gave him for too long. We gotta put this guy's feet to the fire. 
Well, at the very least, I would expect it to be visually engaging. Like that seems to be a consistent thing. His his editing, his shots, his lighting, always top notch. But yeah, I think you're right though. I, I want to say a good portion of that magic actually belongs to Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, man, I would be, I mean, just think about it. Like, I'd be so much more excited to find out that the three of them are going to do a movie together versus like whatever Edgar Wright's doing on his own. Like, as I'm going to see his new movie, but I got to be honest, like, I don't really care. Like, <laughs> I mean, I hope it's good, but uh, like even the trailer, like I was like, yeah, like you said, visually looks good. Other than that, didn't really do much for me. Yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Uh, I mean, case in point, neither of us can seem to remember 100% for certain the title of the damn thing, but um, I certainly can't. Uh, you remembered more than me. Uh, I just <laughs> remember some of the shots from the trailer. Other than that, I was like, I don't really know what the fuck's going on. Looks cool, though. <laughs> I'm going to come down on this movie so hard. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to you giving it a good verbal drubbing. <laughs> no, it, it might have some merit to it. Who knows? I'm sure I'm sure, I'm sure. sure. it will. I mean, yeah. I'll, it, it'll be like Baby Driver. I'll come down hard on it, and then I'll be like, eh, it's like a 3.5. <laughs> I don't know how many movie discussions I've had that end like that. It's like, yeah. you've been shitting on this for two and a half hours, and you give it a 3.5. It's like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's You got to keep it interesting, man. You can't just, like, say, oh, you know, was, this was great. This was great. That was great. That was great. Like, you got to, you know. <sighs> okay. Well, um, you want this to be my last one, Brad? Yeah, we can do that, man. That'd work. Okay. Well, my next pick... Um, it should be Transformers the movie because Transformers the movie, much like Godzilla, should should be all of my picks for this particular criteria. But uh, I've already talked about that quite a few times. I did put put it aside, but I've talked about it so many fucking times. Uh, so this one is another animated film, though, and one that I I watched countless times as a as a youth. Um, and this one always stuck with me for I think a a reason that's very common among young people. Uh, it scared me a little bit, but in that good way that made it engaging and memorable, not like just like utterly terrifying and like nightmare fuel kind of shit. It was just it was just like it it treated me like a slightly older person, and I I appreciate and gained something from that. Uh, so this is this is... going to be Watership Down? No, actually, I've never seen that, but I, I know <laughs> it by reputation. And yeah, yeah, I've never seen it either. A lot of people had to grow up real fucking fast when they saw that, apparently, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen a couple of clips. I was like, oh, Jesus, fuck. <laughs> yeah. That is a rabbit that's uh, fucking up another rabbit. <laughs> uh, no, this is... Uh, and my god the cover art for this is horrendous it does not reflect the tone of the film <laughs> uh this is the secret of nim oh okay which is a don bluth production i think this was his i think it was his first feature film after he parted ways with disney and formed his own production company uh and he would go on to have a storied career in the animation world uh a lot of hits a lot of misses but very distinctive style i mean uh the land before time got up to like what 14 sequels um and and american tale that's a movie actually that i really really have to rewatch um because i don't know what it was man but like when i was a kid for some reason number two was the was the 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 movie that i latched onto the most really 
yeah, like Terminator 2, Aliens, um, Home Alone 2, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, um, and American Tale, Five Goes West, as opposed to the first American Tale. Uh, for whatever reason, I, I really fucking loved Five Goes West. Um, and that's a movie I haven't seen. Like Unlike Secret of Nim, which I've seen in, as an adult and, uh, and really enjoyed, and American Tale 2 I have not seen since I was a very little kid, so that could be total shit for all I know. Well, even even uh, Ernest Goes to Jail, there's another sequel. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's number two. I don't think so, but it's... I think it's like it, four or three or four. It's probably like four or five or something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, Secret of Nim is a tremendous animated film. Uh, it's It's got a lot of Don Bluth's signatures in it. Uh, it has a really interesting, I don't know, perspective on like faith and science it kind of it kind of like touches on both of those worlds a little bit uh but not explicitly so it, it kind of leaves things very open-ended it, it doesn't like hammer either point home um his character designs are distinctly his like there's a certain shape and character to his design work that it's like unmistakable um but more than that the the thing that always resonated with me about this was the tone it's deathly serious at times and then Dom DeLuise shows up and we're having fun. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, like the farmer is like pushing the farm equipment over the mice, like over the mouse home. Like, like, like all the rabbits are running away from the thresher blades and stuff. Ah. And, and I, I think it was Jerry Goldsmith did the score. I'll have to double check, but uh, the score for this movie is tremendous. Um, and everything. Yeah. Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, he really did a fantastic job with it. Um, it it strikes a really fascinating tone for a, what you would think of as a children's movie. Uh, even the way the dialogue is structured, like some of the word choice and just the the strength of the delivery, it, it doesn't sugarcoat things. It it talks it talks at its own level. It doesn't like punch down at you as a little kid. So like a lot of things, I w- I was finding myself not really entirely understanding, but I found the whole thing so engaging, mostly because. It, it's absolutely beautiful to look at. Like some of the background renderings and some of the environments they create are just so utterly gorgeous to behold. Like the, when she, uh, when Mrs. Brisby, uh, who they, it's based on a book, but they, for whatever reason, they had to rename the main character. Uh, when she goes to visit the rats of Nim, uh, their lair is like underneath a rose bush. Um, and somehow they turn the innards of this rose bush into like this techno organic landscape that's just like so utterly alien and bewildering that it's like hmm. I don't even know what we're fucking doing right now, but it's cool. <laughs> and so many so many monsters and creatures pop up that feel at like very cohesive, but have a particular type of menace to them that seems like engineered like specifically to scare children. Like yeah. there's this, there's this really awesome like it's not a jump scare. Um, there's this really awesome bit where a spider comes down from the ceiling and like it's got like it's like fucking dripping saliva. Like they really play up how nasty this fucking spider yeah. is. And it's like licking its chops. A spider. It, it, it it's a mean nasty looking fucking spider. It's the size of a rat. It's terrifying. But they they do this like they catch you sideways with it where the spider's about to eat our main character and then all of a sudden this talon comes down from the ceiling and squishes it <laughs> and then then we get introduced to an even bigger and more threatening creature in the form of an owl 
that its introduction it, again a lot of this movie feels distinctly engineered just to terrify children <laughs> so the introduction of this owl its head is upside down so like it has to like turn its whole fucking neck over <laughs> and it has these glowing golden eyes <laughs> it's like ah <laughs> but it's so it's so memorable and then of course for a little boy um it ends with a sword fight and oh like, cool if yeah you, you know i was like just waiting the whole movie for that part because it's like mm-hmm. at this point i had seen the adventures of robin hood which also ends with a sword fight and i was like when do they <laughs> when can we get to the fireworks factory <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, have you seen this brad I don't think I have. I know I've seen definitely The Land Before Time, and I'm pretty sure American Tale. Like, is I don't know like when these came out in relation to one another. Is there any reason why this one is the one that you seem to go back to more often? Uh, well, uh, I was really into The Land Before Time because of dinosaurs, and uh, yeah, and American Tale: Five Will Goes West. I watched quite a bit as well. The reason why this one stuck with me the most and the reason I watched it the most, I think, was probably the sword fight. <laughs> but hey, well, It's a good enough reason for me. But uh, beyond that, I'm not entirely sh- sure, actually, because those yeah. other two movies were much more approachable. Um, I had access to them at other people's homes as well. Like, it, like if I was hanging out with my friends, a lot of them, their parents own those as well. But this one... I don't think any of my friends had so like I only I could only watch it at home with like my mom or something um but yeah I actually I couldn't tell you why this one in particular was the one that really jumped out at me um I was never a big fan of all all dogs go to heaven to be honest uh that, I found that movie very jarring and and like disquieting in a way that like secret of nim is scary don't get me wrong but all dogs yeah. go to heaven I just like I was on edge the whole time because the the emotional whiplash that a lot of the characters go through. It's just like, I can't trust anyone in this movie. Everybody's going to flip out and get all weird on me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch that one too much either, I don't think. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen the sequel with Charlie Sheen, but I probably should. Um, but, you know, what can you do? <laughs> yeah, I, Don Bluth did fall pretty hard at some point. I I think the, the cutoff point was a uh, rock-a-doodle. I want to say that was the one that like started him on the downward spiral because I'll never forget like the marketing for that. I was just like, I don't even know what the fuck we're doing anymore. <laughs> now, is he is he directing these or is he just like producing them? I actually don't know how that works. Uh, animation world seems like a different landscape when it comes to how how authorial uh, like intent is assigned, uh, like mm-hmm. what titles are assigned to whom. Because there's a lot of shocking instances where certain names get pushed into the limelight that actually aren't the director like uh nightmare before christmas in particular is one of the most famous instances where it's like that's not a tim burton didn't direct that film but his name is all over the marketing for it Uh, so i don't actually know if don bluth himself served as director but i know for certain he did for secret of nim but then again i think that like i said was his first feature after he parted ways with disney so it it was either going to be him or no one (laughs) Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, I kind of knew these movies uh, were all related. I had no idea he was the guy behind them all. If you look at the character designs, like if you if you just take a, a couple minutes and like compare them, you'll you'll see it. Where it's just like, yeah, oh, I can if, if you see it. if you take an educated guess, more than likely you'll you'll be right because uh, he really does have a very distinctive character methodology. 
Yeah, definitely out of all these, The Land Before Time was the one that I had most on repeat. Even then, it wasn't, I didn't watch it like a ton, but I, you know, as a young kid, I watched it quite a bit. No, I, I certainly watched that one quite a bit. I actually don't own it, but that's that's yeah, one I, I wouldn't mind going back to and rewatching. I I think it would be really similar uh, to my experience with Ernest Goes to Jail, actually, where I, I honestly can't remember it bit for bit right now. But as soon as I'm in it and I start like seeing certain images and hearing certain lines of dialogue, it I'll, the whole movie will just like come back instantly. Yeah, and you can't beat that runtime for Land Before Time. One hour nine minutes. Ooh, that is wow. tasty. Yeah, eighty-three minutes for Secret of Nam. So I mean, that, that's still good. That's still good. But it ain't you're, one nine. You're pushing it, it one, hour <laughs> one hour nine. Damn. And wow, they managed to cram in all sorts of depressing shit in there <laughs> yeah. like that yeah. i think i think of all the animated mother deaths in in that phase of my cinema like familiarity that one may have been up there in terms of how hard it hit mm-hmm. it's like god damn it little foot <laughs> it's like god damn it little foot <laughs> yeah that got a lot of people that got a lot of people yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember who sung the the ending song for that it's like it wasn't Tina Turner. It was someone, I think, a little bit before her. Can't remember, but it was a it was a banger, as they say. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't remember the song at all. Um, well, I remember the melody mostly because Diana it, Ross. Diana Ross. Yes, yes. No, the the melody plays throughout the whole film, and I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if that was also Jerry Goldsmith. Um, but yeah, Secret of Nim. Uh, unlike. <laughs> unlike Ernest goes to jail um actually does get like a sincere recommend from me I, I think it's a really incredible film that has a lot to offer um and even just from an audiovisual perspective it's a very solid work of visual art and jerry goldsmith showed the fuck up because there's some really memorable tunes in this one yeah Man, I gotta say, like, I feel like my picks are like over here, just like basic, like Inception, Shaun of the Dead. I'm just like, I'm a, being like a bro over here. Hey, we got some good stories out of them, though. I mean, not everybody can say they've seen Inception four times in the theater and in Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that is an achievement. Yeah. No, and remember, Brad, like all of my picks, literally all of my picks, except for maybe The Beast, which came out in 1996. So I was nine. Like all of these movies are from that period of my life and earlier. (laughs) So these are all, these are all like pre 10 year old Trevor. Uh, So yeah, a lot of my picks are definitely a little bit oddball just because, you know, that, that came from a time period in which I technically wasn't picking what I wanted to watch. It was, it was up to my parents basically. Um, So these were just the things that were available to me and it didn't matter if they were good or not. They were, just the toys i had to play with <laughs> but yep yep but no I, I think this was a successful exercise brad um did you want to do a speed round to wrap things up or are you about tapped out yeah i can do a speed round real quick i got a few things sitting here you want me to kick it off yeah go ahead um well i just grabbed uh the shining which i don't own on 4k unfortunately that's embarrassing um just got the blu-ray uh but of course i've seen that Tons of times. Uh, This one, another kind of holiday film, Gremlins. I don't necessarily think of it as a Christmas Christmas movie, but it's a good one to 
put on that time of year if you're sick of all the basic shit. Um, and then uh, I got Evil Dead. The Evil Dead, excuse me. Oof, that was almost embarrassing again. The Evil Dead, which I actually prefer Evil Dead 2, but there, I don't know, there's something where it's like, with Evil Dead 2, I kind of have to be in like the right mood for it. Whereas The Evil Dead is just like a great horror film that I can just put on, and I, I think I've seen it more times. Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I mean, you know, come on. Any, I'm, I'm sure you've watched this a million times in middle school, high school era. I mean, come on. I've come seen on, it man. exactly one time. Really? Uh, yeah, my, my dad liked some Monty Python stuff. Holy Grail, and for whatever reason, he was really big on The Life of Brian. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, Monty Python actually didn't get a whole lot of play in my household. But I've seen the Holy Grail though. I have. I have seen I, it at I least feel once. Like, I just feel like everybody, like every guy in middle school, was just like obsessed with this movie. I don't know what it was, but like everybody I knew was just like. So it's like I don't even feel like I have any like claim to it, even though I watched it so much like in middle school like no, so, I, so much. I think most guys uh only difference is i was too busy watching rocky three and four over and over and over again in middle school hey, <laughs> nothing wrong with that no i mean yeah there's much worse things you could be watching nothing wrong with that <laughs> um this one I, I don't know how many times i've actually rewatched this but i've definitely seen it quite a few uh house on haunted hill the remake nice um I mean, probably out of all these, it's probably the one I have watched the least. But I do, I did watch this a lot um, when it would be on TV and stuff in the early 2000s. And then uh, finally, Boogie Nights, which uh, definitely the most watchable Paul Thomas Anderson film. I think it. I don't know if I'd say it's my favorite. It's definitely up there. But it's the kind of film that you can just. It's so much fun to just hang out with these characters, and it's so just, just like this thing just moves. It's just. It's awesome. It's uh, one of the most watchable films out there. It really is. Um, if I owned that movie, you better believe it. I would have set it aside to, like, to talk about on this episode because mm-hmm. I, it's not even. It's not a short movie either. But I have seen yeah. it so many times. Yeah, so many times. There's something about it. You just every like like year or so you just get feeling like man I, I could really watch boogie nights again that movie's got everything no i mean I, not even that long ago like like a couple months ago i put it on the background while i was working at home yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like so hang on you you put on boogie nights while you're working it's like yeah don't you <laughs> i mean which really like you know not that i'm like a prude or anything but you would think like you, you tell people about this movie and it's like oh it you know it's about the porn industry in the 70s and people are kind of like that's the movie you watch again and again and again and it's like well once you see it like you'll understand i mean i guess i, I can understand just like based on that you'd be like what the heck but definitely uh it's just totally watchable and fun and uh yeah i i love it no me me too um I actually teased my girlfriend with that a while back or it's like i don't know what it says about me but for some reason i find this movie hypnotic yeah. and i keep coming back to it okay well uh that it for your speed round then brad yeah that's all i got all right well i'll try to make this quick then uh so speed round uh i have john woods Face Off on DVD. Uh, This was one of the earlier R-rated movies I ever saw, and therefore one that was very, very, very important to me. I watched it countless times. I'm pretty sure this was one of those movies that right there with Speed um, would be filed away as one of those movies that my brother 
just got furious with me for how many times I put it on. He's just like, are you fucking face off again? Are you fucking serious? Uh, Curiously, Speed is a movie I still don't own because that 4K has been very difficult to track down. I am very excited to come back to that, though, because it's been a solid minute since I watched it. But yeah. that is a movie I have seen countless times. So that that should have been on this episode. Sadly, it wasn't. But next time, baby. <laughs> In the words <laughs> of the unemployed Terrence Howard. <laughs> yeah. um, I have Blood Sport featuring Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, who had the uh, the last mercenary drop on netflix pretty recently as far as i recall mm. um blood sport is one of those movies that was on cable constantly uh, again one of the earlier r-rated movies i ever saw it was it achieved mythic status in my household because right alongside uh rocky four and top gun uh, it was one of those movies that i knew by reputation and by like one pivotal plot point like years before I'd ever see it. So Top Gun was the movie where somebody important in it dies. And then uh, Rocky Four was the other one where somebody important in it dies. And then Bloodsport was the one where the dude gets his head stepped on. And it's really gory, <laughs> although it actually wasn't that gory. But I was like five at the time. So I had this image in my head of what the movie Bloodsport was. Um, and then I saw it and it, it's amazing, but it's not that movie. Like the movie I imagined was not that movie, but I've seen, yeah. I've seen blood sports so many fucking times and it never gets old. Uh, my girlfriend has been exposed to blood sport and she quite liked it. So she, uh, there's a reason she's still around. <laughs> um, I have, uh, SPL on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, this was, uh, I mentioned Wilson Yip, uh, the fellow who directed Biozombie. This was the first pairing between him and Donnie Yen. Okay. Uh, in the mid-2000s. We did a review of it for Catching Up on Cinema, similar to how we did a review for Flashpoint, which I also have on DVD. This one has postcards because Ooh. Hong Kong DVD publishers are kind like that. Um, you got to hang on to that then. Yeah, and it's got this weird like canvas material. Very nice. interesting, all nice. over Louis Ku's face. Um, yeah, both of these movies directed by Wilson Yip. Flashpoint actually serves as a prequel to SPL. They both kind of served as the like modern renaissance for uh hong kong like martial arts action cinema they kind of breathed new life into the genre like amidst the uh the fervor that uh tony ja was stirring up over in thailand with uh the no wires no stunt people like ong bak situation so in response to that donnie yen and like all the hong kong stunt people they kind of got together they're like how can we how can we match that? It's like, well, we can't do that because Donnie Yen has a lot of plastic surgery and we can't have him eating knees to the face. Like that that's expensive. <laughs> we can't do that. Yeah. So instead they they went back to the drawing board with the choreography and in a modern day setting found a way to like integrate plausible mixed martial arts in like a modern day cops and robbers setting. And it's it's my favorite combination of things where it's 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 a cop movie. But it's also a, a kung fu movie, and neither neither element feels hokey, and both of these movies as a pair are just like a, a fantastic one-two punch. Can't recommend them enough. I've seen them countless times. Uh, I have Transformers the movie, Steelbook, Scream or Shout Factory. I have Tremors, which is a movie I'm shocked neither of us brought up today, but both of us have seen it many many yeah. many times. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I have. The- I'm, I'm I'm embarrassed that I uh, don't have the uh, Arrow 4K. That's why I didn't mention it. Oh well, I just have the uh, what is it? Just a universal disc. Uh, I haven't bothered to yeah. upgrade it, but uh, it is a movie I would consider upgrading because it's fucking Tremors. But um, I have the Predator triple feature box here. This is a terrible, very terrible looking box set. I, I really don't like that they used the Predator mask from Predators on the cover, but it was economical. And really, I'm only talking about the first Predator here because I've seen it God knows how many fucking times. I have the Jaws 4K because look at the poster behind Brad. Uh, Robocop, Arrow release, another movie I've seen a bajillion fucking times. Um, And then I have some questionable anime releases (laughs) that uh, I just figured I'd bring up just for shits and giggles. So I have a pair of Dragon Ball Z movies. I have uh, movie number nine and movie number 12. Uh, Both of these movies I owned on bootleg VHS back in the day. Uh, I ordered them through eBay. I got my dad to write a to get a money order for me so I could pay some anonymous stranger at the other end of the country to send me bootleg VHS tapes of questionable quality. Um, and this was in like the early 2000s or something. Uh, and the image quality was total shit. Uh, the subtitle quality mm-hmm. was even worse. But I loved both of these movies, and now that I've upgraded them to DVD, I can actually understand what's going on and actually uh, see what's going on because uh, those VHS tapes were fucking atrocious. They were just covered in snow the entire time. Uh, and then I have. I would just love to know uh, your dad's reaction when you uh, asked him for that. Like, you want to do what now? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I I started doing that at some point because I was. I was getting a feel for the things that I valued, and a lot of them happened to be things that were well out of reach. Uh, so from a pretty early age, I was doing stuff like that, like like buying bootleg Godzilla movies at, at the card store across the street from Costco <laughs> and shit like that, and uh, buying yeah. import Super Nintendo games that I had to, like... Do you know how to region modify a Super Nintendo, Brad? I think you've told me how to do it before, I think. So there's a, a pair of plastic tabs. Like if, the, if you open the dust cover, there's just these two little knobs. And what you do is you take a pair of needle nose pliers and you rip those tabs out. <laughs> Congratulations. You have hard modded your Super Nintendo to play international titles. <laughs> I, so yeah. I did that. And uh, yeah, uh, eBay was kind of my playground uh, in the early 2000s. And yeah, I ended up having to like give my birthday money back to my dad and be like, can we go to the bank to get, process this into a money order so I can mail it to someone in Georgia or some shit? Yep. <laughs> so they can send me Dragon Ball games from five years ago. <laughs> yep. Fun times. I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to have a, a dad that would let me do that, though, because, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure not everybody's dad would do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to close things out here, I have Fatal Fury, the motion picture, which is a anime title we did for Anime August, uh, I think last year. Uh, it's based on the video game series. Uh, and it got played on the sci-fi channel very late at night, very frequently for a spell. Um, and I remember catching it because I used to be like up late drawing and stuff. And I just remember looking up and be like, that's Terry Bogard. It's like, he's from my video games. What's he doing on TV? And then I 
you know, hit up the internet and was like, oh, shit, that's Fatal Fury in animation form. I, I was not aware of that. Uh, fun fact, uh, the soundtrack for this movie served as the first MP3s I ever downloaded in my entire life. Uh, I found wow. a, a fan website. Um, prior, this was like prior to YouTube, prior to all that kind of shit. Uh, it was like a GeoCities. Yeah, it was like a GeoCities fan page or something that had the soundtrack like in individual MP3 files. And I remember asking my parents for permission to download this music because no one in the household knew anything of what knew had any clue what an mp3 was nor did they knew what it meant to download said mp3 <laughs> so i asked for permission and i got an okay uh, and and yeah that was the first time i ever downloaded anything off the internet it came in the yeah that's gotta have a special place in your heart then it's a really good soundtrack actually you should look it up it's fantastic um and the last thing here is uh it says fighting spirit champion road uh the series title is hajime no ippo uh it's like the beginning of the first step it's a boxing anime that uh to this day i still collect the manga in in a collected form they're up to like 120 something books now it started in 1989 and persists to this day this was the uh the movie that kind of concluded the tele the first television series of many to come but um the opening like five minutes of this brad very similar to gi joe the motion picture opening five fucking minutes of this are cinematic bliss just fucking phenomenal yeah it's just like if you ever wanted to see some of the best renderings like in animated form of people being punched in the fucking face bam <laughs> right there <laughs> And yeah. that's about yeah. it. That's hey, that sounds good. That sounds good. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, you should, if nothing else, just look up the first few minutes of it because it, it's phenomenal. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's about it for my speed round. So, uh, Brad, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about our uh, rewatchable relics. Uh, it's been been a fun time of sharing yeah. stories and whatnot. But um, before we go, do you want to let the folks at home know where they can find you and your podcast? Yeah, of course. Uh, it's the Cinema Speak podcast. We're on Instagram at the Cinema Speak. Uh, no, uh, oh, you always tell me I do such a good job, and I just fucked it up. Damn it! Fuck. On Twitter at the Cinema Speak, and Instagram is Cinema Speak podcast. Oh, I'm sweating. Uh, on YouTube as Cinema Speak, or you can go online cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. That's all right. I'm out. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> That's okay, Brad. You did good. And uh, folks at home, uh, if you didn't catch it there, Brad does have a YouTube channel for the Cinema Speak podcast. Uh, it's really fantastic. He does mostly unboxings, but he's also done like a top 10 list. And uh, your most recent video was, man, you, 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 you had me worried about you for a second there, Brad. Like, like you, you had the clickbait title, so I had an idea of what was coming. Like, very good on you, for, like, on that point, by the way. I'm, I need to get better about that kind of shit. But, yeah, yeah. But when, when that when that hammer dropped, I was like, oh, man, I think he's, like, legit, like, kind of pissed. <laughs> like, I don't, know what, I don't know what the dinner after that video was like, but <laughs> I'm sure yeah. it was full of awkward silences. It killed the mood. It really killed the mood. <laughs> we'll see what happens when they send in the, uh, the second replacement copy that's uh, currently on its way. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, so folks at home, definitely check that out. Brad Brad is 
doing some really awesome stuff with his Thank YouTube you. channel. Thank you. But um, in the meantime, though, if you would like to check out our other Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that located at our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple social medias in the form of an Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. And the podcast is available at pretty much any platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. Uh, so fucking Google it. And uh, that being said, thank you so much for joining me, Brad. And thank you so much, folks at home, for tuning in. And we will catch you next time. <laughs>